Hey, all right, this is Tim Crisp, and you're listening to Road to the Skeleton Coast with Brennan Kelly. Brennan, what's going on, Bubba? How are you? I'm good. I just started recording myself, and uh, maybe without the benefit of your first um, little spiel there, but you know what? I have great confidence that your recording over there will seamlessly tie all of this together. Hey, the great thing about having these conversations is that I get to live through them twice. And even when I get little bumps in the road, like the one that you're describing could happen, we make Mm -hmm. it through just like we did last week when we talked about I'd Rather Die Than Live Forever, your first record with the Wandering Birds. Yes. Yes, exactly. And uh, now it's been immortalized in podcast form. And you know what? It was honestly... Uh, an inspiring conversation for a lot of different reasons. Um, If you're like I was, and you weren't too sure on that record when it came out, maybe that episode might feel like something you can skip. I'd advise you to go the other route and hit that record again and listen to that episode. It's been my favorite so far, and it was definitely my favorite to sit back and listen back as I was editing. We appreciate all of you who keep coming back each week. Thank you all for following us on Spotify, subscribing on Apple Podcasts, and those five-star reviews are lovely to see. Would love to see more of them. Email is Podcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And Brendan, Yo. we've got some news to share. Oh, we do. That's right. Go ahead and tell them. <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot of you have asked. Wow, Tim, how do you get Brendan to devote so much time to recording these podcasts? And I've been telling folks, Brendan and I, we got an arrangement. And that arrangement had been working well for the past several weeks until my mom saw all these charges I've been making <laughs> on the emergency credit card for friend hangs, BK plus TC, so... Uh, I've got to find a new way to pay Brendan to hang out with me is what it comes down to. So we are both pleased to announce that we have a Patreon. Holy crap. A podcast with a Patreon. Yep. Now you've seen everything. Um, For the record, uh, I don't actually extort uh, any money from Tim at all. I just, you know... Uh, he freely gives it to me. Uh, no, um, for real though, you know, uh, obviously these episodes, um, will continue to be available and stuff like that and moving forward, but there will just be extra stuff that you can get if you'd like to become a patron. Um, uh, it, it goes a long way into us being able to set aside the time to do this, which obviously, uh, is a lot of time, uh, you know, Tim has to research everything, um, which, you know, is a grueling task. I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. Uh, and then I have to, you know, talk to Tim, which is likewise. Even worse. <laughs> yeah, so, um, but, but the point is, we're not taking anything away from you guys. Um, we're just adding more content. And, uh, you know, the opportunity to support the Road to the Skeleton Coast uh it will be met with uh, great rewards um, on the other side in Valhalla, or as we like to call it, over on um, 
better sandwich at patreon is that what it's called that's right patreon.com slash better sandwich patreon i'm sure that you've heard this spiel before but just in case you haven't patreon is a way for you to help support the show by pledging a monthly amount in exchange for some exclusive bonus content what does that mean exactly well each week along with the episode of Road to the Skeleton Coast, we're going to drop a weekly edition of Liner Notes. Liner Notes is going to be a little added bonus content portion. We can go into some stories surrounding the record that we talked about that week, further discussion of musical influences, cultural influences attached to the record. We're also going to drop bi-weekly episodes of extra content, me and Brendan talking a little bit more freeform. We're going to talk about maybe bands that don't feature Brendan Kelly, Simpsons, movies, Rock of Love, whatever we think would be fun and whatever is working for y'all. We're going to try and make the Patreon something that everyone can participate in. We're looking forward to the opportunity to do something new. So that's patreon.com slash better sandwich. Not a bad name if i do say so myself no it's good it it uh really it really brings the whole room together as they say um <laughs> and man do i hate people that lazily quote old movies that they know where they you know where you, you say something and and that the whole joke is like you recognize you get that it. right you get it <laughs> I, I despise that we'll talk about stuff like this over on the patreon and um i think uh the the one thing to keep in mind is, and I, I really can't stress this enough, if there's something that you hear where we sort of do go off on a little tangent or we do start exploring some part of a song and then you feel like we jumped through it or some aspect of the recording process or something like that and you feel like we didn't get to something that you wanted to hear about, email us and if you're a Patreon member, we will address those things and if it's like hey i want to hear more about what you think of rock of love that's cool and if it's i want to hear more about um the way you fucking mic the drums in uh that weird office building to do i'd rather die than live forever that's fine too you know um i won't be able to answer any questions about how we mic'd anything by the way uh because <laughs> that's not my forte <laughs> but i will at least address it in a um, sort of ramshackle, rambling um, monologue, much like this one here. Okay, Tim, take it away. <laughs> <laughs> so, Patreon, patreon.com slash better sandwich. I know I'm repeating it a lot, but that's what you got to do. We're keeping it simple over there. There's one tier for pledging. It's $7 a month for weekly episodes of liner notes and a couple bonus episodes each month. And since Patreon charges at the first of every month, we're negating the charge on June 1st. So if you pledge now, you'll get the rest of May and the whole month of June on the house. This is what's known as a trial period in the business. If you go there now, the liner notes edition of cocktails and dreams is there along with the two interviews I did with Brennan and Chris on better yet. I re-recorded new intros onto those it was cool to listen back and they'll be fun for any of you who haven't heard them before we're excited we hope you check us out over there on patreon.com slash better sandwich yeah 
Yeah, and uh, just I just can't stress this enough. We're not taking anything away. This, this podcast will continue as it is. This is just an opportunity for more content. And, uh, it, you know, like, this isn't like, we're not the drug dealer at the back of your school that gave you crack for free. And we're like, now that you're hooked, it's $20. You know, that that's not, that's, that's not our style. We're like the drug dealer that gave you crack at the back of the school and still gives you crack at the back of the school <laughs> for free. But then it's like, I also have Oxycontins, but you have to buy those. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. What, what better what better metaphor to go with there? Um, I'm looking forward to the chance to have a lot of different conversations and the chance to get to so many of the questions that we're getting each week on the email, on Twitter. I think, though, this is a great week for us to start the Patreon just because we can really make a nice distinction here on how we're going to cover things on the podcast as it exists and how we're going to cover things over on the Patreon. Because this week on Road to the Skeleton Coast, we're going to talk about Cocktails and Dreams as a release that comes out in 2005 in between Greatest Story and O'Calcutta and really break down the effect that it had for the Lawrence Arms at the time over on Patreon we're going to go a little bit more into the individual releases that make this collection up. We're going to talk about the Chinky Split, Shady View Terrace comps. It'll be a good space for us to devote the time that we need to break those down and then also get into things like the clip from Treehouse of Horror 7 that starts off Quincentople Your Money on the Chinky Split, but not on the album. But as Brendan's been saying, and you can see this from the length of the episode that we've got for you this week, not much is changing here. We're just doing more on Patreon. For now, let's road to the Skeleton Coast, baby. Cocktails and Dreams. I think that this is the second time we've referenced the movie Cocktail in maybe as many weeks. Am I wrong? I don't really know. I mean, I've seen it. Uh in parts i could tell you what the story is for the most part but uh that's not where we got the name of the record it is like uh it's sort of like when somebody's like don't you love that jimmy hendrix song all on the watchtower and you're like but it was bob dylan and they're like i don't care that's not what i'm talking about <laughs> you know like uh so that the cocktails and dreams was the name of a bar that we went to in Australia. Um, on our first Australian tour, we marbled in a, uh, like a vacation sort of as part of our payment, you know, cause they had, uh, the, the tour management company, I think did like tourism tours as well. Uh, I might be wrong about that, but like they had, they at least had some sort of relationship where they could get like very affordable, like sort of like resort beach side stuff, and so, like, we did, like, 10 days after the tour, uh, we just hung out, you know, in uh, the Gold Coast, um, and then in, uh, fuck, what was the name of that other place? Uh, oh, was it, Bay. was it Melbourne? Was it no, Sydney? No, <laughs> no well, Gold, Gold Coast is, uh, what I want to say is Queensland. I don't know. I don't want to get into, like, trying to pretend I know geography that's on the other side of the world too much new south wales i don't fucking know nah uh, i 
My favorite part about Australia is that it is as big as America, and every time I think, oh, Australia, it's like the size of Texas, I yeah, no, think, it's... oh, yeah, I'm a fucking idiot. Yeah, that shit's big, man. But uh, the Gold Coast is um, the beautiful uh, beachfront zone, and it's um, this place called Surfer's Paradise, and there's a bar there called Cocktails and Dreams. And none of us knew that that was a reference from the movie Cocktail. Uh-huh. We just thought that it was the dumbest fucking name for a bar we'd ever seen in our lives. <laughs> <laughs> and we were dying laughing uh, in in this bar. And we were just like, cocktails and dreams? Like, it's so... <laughs> It's so fucking stupid. And then, like, we'd just be sitting there talking about anything else, and then one of us would be like, cocktails and dreams? <laughs> you know, like, it was it was just, like, and and then um, we went to this, like, cafe, like an outdoor thing for, like, some, like, late-night food. This story has... We, I should probably save this story for the other side of the uh Oh, for the Patreon. The that's right. Patreon.com slash better sandwich. Yeah, that's right. So um if uh <laughs> y- you know what, I, I'm gonna as my as my trusty squire, I'm gonna need you to remind me that there's a great story about a uh cafe uh or, or like place to get food. I think to call it a cafe is disingenuous and makes it sound like we weren't just like getting hammered on a patio. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. Which you, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We were still riding the high of realizing there's a place called Cocktails and Dreams. But anyway, uh, after that was a big year of a lot of touring for us. So the Australia tour would then be after Greatest Story, and then we got Cocktails and Dreams in 2005. So did you um, did you know that there was going to be a collection coming out, and this made sense as the album title? Well, what was going on was the collection was kind of coming together as something that uh, Mike wanted to do. Park, right? Mm-hmm. Um and he was like, I want to put all these together. And we were like, yeah, sounds great. And, but we were like on Fat Records, um, touring like crazy, getting ready to re- write and record uh, uh, O Calcutta. So this project, there was a certain amount of like, yeah, okay, that sounds fine. That's good. That uh-huh. sounds fine. You know, like, and it wasn't. With no disrespect whatsoever towards Mike Park, the songs on this record, or anything like that intended, but more like we were just really, really busy, and the idea of like putting too much of a brain trust together in order to repackage songs that were already out in the world just didn't have the same sort of sense of urgency mm-hmm. uh, to any of us. I, I mean, I guess I can only speak for myself, but I really don't think I, I feel like that's the way. That we all felt. And so we'd been touring like pretty internationally at this time. This was like probably the time leading up to Cocktails and Dreams, I think was probably our most uh, geographically diverse year of travel. Mm-hmm. Um, and which is why so many of the photos in the sleeve are us like in marketplaces in Greece and shit like that, you know, like sure. it's, that stuff's all over the world. And, um, I don't know. It was 
Definitely not me. It was either Neil or Chris. We are sitting around and we are like, what are we going to call this fucking thing? And one of them was like, how about cocktails and dreams? And then we all just started like hyperventilating laughing. <laughs> because like, I don't know that we'd totally thought about cocktails and dreams uh, again, <laughs> you know, but for it to just come out as like a callback. It, and, you know, like, it's like when it, I say this when to my kids, this is like one of the rules of my house, right? As a father, uh-huh. if it makes me laugh, you're not in trouble for saying it. Like, uh, <laughs> you know, like it doesn't matter how many curse words are in it. If it's like genuinely funny, like I can't, I can't get mad at you for it, you know? And it's like with the Lawrence arms, it's a slightly different variation on that rule, which it's not my rule. It's, I think it's our collective rule, you know, but it's, if something's that fucking funny. We have to do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so it's funny yeah. how it just like makes sense for you. Cause you're, um, the, the idea is that it's like a classy thing, but you're also like such a uh, train wreck of a of an enclave that still just manages to keep going despite yeah. everything. Um, it's you know I I think that this is a pretty interesting release to look at because we're talking about something that comes. We got greatest story and then. 18 months later, Cocktails and Dreams, and then within nine months, Oh, Calcutta. But I think that 18 months is a, is a very uh, nice thing for me to use as a segue here because to me, like, this release has so much of the impact of Alkaline Trio's self-titled. It comes a little bit later, almost in the same way that Remains does. It's like, this is a really good collection that I think stands on its own to such an effect that I think we might overlook the fact that the bridge between Greatest Story and O Calcutta is so heavily aided by this record. For sure, and I think that there's a lot of people out there who don't, know that this is a compilation record. Mm. I don't think it's really thought of in that way. I mean, like, people talk about, you know, our records. They always list it as a proper album or mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, I should say they always do. Most most people tend to, and they talk about this as the release that came out right before Okakata, and which is odd because I think, like, well, it is. it is, like, a little bit, Heavier and darker, maybe than I don't know, man. Than greatest story, is it? I, I don't know. I can't. I can't like really sit in there. I, but- I think that it's got. For one, we're going to talk about a couple of the singles that I think really just make everything on here pop. And I think that it's it's a great um, piece of sequencing that you did here because when you start off with "In Transit," which is a new song, and then mm-hmm. you go to the present day memory split which sounds so much like Apathy and Exhaustion, it doesn't feel like that release necessarily came out five years before this came out. It feels very much like a Lawrence Arms single that makes sense, or those two songs at least feel very much like singles that just make sense in the in the canon and in the chronology. Mm-hmm. Right, I know. It's, uh, yeah, it's interesting Um you know, I think once that we got through the kind of ghost stories sessions and tours subsequently on that, 
um, and we like really figured out what we wanted to be as a band, and that would be where this kind of, you know, the stuff that ended up be coming onto Cocktails and Dreams, uh, you could kind of switch the things around. It like, mm-hmm. you know, you could put uh, Cocktails and Dreams at after Apathy. You could put it after Greatest Story. You could put Greatest Story before uh, fucking Apathy, and like. Not to say, I obviously the linear way that they do exist makes sense in my head, but there's an I think that there's an argument to be made that it's like, oh, that you know they did this greatest story record and it was like all weird, and then they really streamlined it down when they did apathy, you know, like a like sure, you, you, you sure. could see it that way, mm-hmm. you know. So it's like I, I think like once the DNA of the band sort of cemented um, for this period of time. Uh, call it like sort of like the mostly fat records era. Uh huh. I think I think I think it's all sort of could go anywhere, and just through sheer force of luck, this ended up sounding like a cohesive collection of songs, which is nice. Um, and I appreciate, it. and in no small part due to the spectacularly iconic work of David Holtz on the cover. I think. It's Pro- so good, yeah. It probably does more to contribute to the idea of this being a cohesive whole piece than the songs do. I mean, because it's just like, this is so iconic and like, mm-hmm. boom. It's like what you think of when you think of the band's sort of iconography. You yeah, know? And, definitely. And so it's like, and that shit has a lot to do with everything, man. You know, they like they, they do experiments where they get like Michelin starred steakhouse uh you know chefs or whatever to cook fancy ribeyes and they put them in front of people and the light is just like vaguely tinted so the steak looks blue and people are like i can't eat this it's disgusting it tastes terrible you know it's like the uh like how something looks really does affect how it tastes or how it sounds you know like they ain't buying the steak they're buying the sizzle baby oh shit no that that that's disconnected from the earlier babies uh, be- before we do- before we talk a little bit about the um, that was an impersonation. <laughs> um, I I think that uh, this is this makes a lot of different like types of sense um, in in several different ways. One of them, I think, for me, having been following your band like during this time, the cocktails and dreams release it's it is more like remains where it's just like, holy shit. Like this band has been so fucking good for so long. And now it's collected and seeing it all play out just makes it even crazier that you have so many fucking great tracks here that aren't on the album. And I think that it works retroactively for the people who are getting in a little bit later who see Cocktails and Dreams just as a record where they're like, like, fuck, this this Lawrence Arms band is is doing something right here. Oh, yeah. Well, that's nice to hear. I mean, you know, the thing, there's always a lot of risk with any sort of uh, hodgepodge piece of, I, I mean, you know, like, fucking throwing together your leftovers for dinner. Sometimes that turns out amazing, and sometimes mm-hmm. it's a fucking culinary disaster, you know? So 
Like, I think we entered into the idea of this record with a sort of like, hey, fuck it. You know, <laughs> this might this might be terrible. Uh, you know, and, and uh, just as things started to come together, I think, I think with the um, really... Uh, like the sequence started to work out and transit turned out really, really well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and there seemed to be a little bit of enthusiasm, like sort of growing for more material from us. The other two records, the EPs that were on here that make up like the sort of, uh, creamy middles of this, uh, of this compilation. That's a Neil <laughs> Hennessy phrase. Uh, I'm, I'm borrowing it. Copyright Neil Hennessy. Uh, it, they, uh, those were kind of, I believe, getting into an obscure, like out of print kind of status. Um, you know, Definitely. there's comp, so- comp songs with, I mean, we could talk about that stuff, but, um, as it started to come together, you know, the cover started to come together and everything. And all of a sudden it was like, oh, it's cool. Maybe we should have called this something besides cocktails and dreams. No, cocktails and dreams is still funny. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's it's perfect. So, so these uh, the Suicide King logo. Um, it, it, I feel like it was part of the iconography m- much earlier, but this is a very very good placement. Am I right? Yeah, yeah. The Suicide King. Have I not told this story before? Because it's pretty interesting. Uh, Let's do it, baby. The. Uh, is this well? Is this a is the story of the Suicide King maybe better suited for the Patreon? I don't know. Um, you know, I'm I'm you're you're the uh, you're the gatekeeper, and I'm merely the keymaster. Uh, <laughs> Does that so mean could, am I Sigourney then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm Vince Clortho. All right, all right, cool. I'm I'm down with that. <laughs> um, and that would make you Zool. <laughs> Uh, I think that um, I think that it it has this really cool energy on on this cover because it's it's definitely a logo that people recognize as being part of your band. But I think that this is maybe the first utilization of that logo in a way that really just takes up the entire scope of things. It's not like a it's not like a little extra piece of of things it's it's fucking the cover and just the layout is so so indebted to that logo totally i mean it had been the it's always been ever since we first made it the the best-selling shirt we've ever done mm-hmm. you know um and on the shirt it's obviously pretty front and center i mean you don't get more like uh iconographic placement i mean for better or for worse whether the shirt is cool or lame like (laughs) it's it's going all in on the suicide kick i mean that's what the shirt is you know what i mean definitely so so that like which is why it worked so well as the cover of the record because usually people aren't stupid enough to do it in that direction (laughs) you Uh know Uh, (laughs) like usually People put something on the cover of the record and then they throw it onto a shirt and then the shirt sells really well. We had the brilliant idea of going the opposite direction, selling a few shirts and having people be like, oh, I think my burnout cousin has a shirt with that on. <laughs> you know, and let's see what this record's about. 
for free on Spotify. Yeah, uh, I mean, it, it totally makes sense that um, that, that is your best-selling shirt because I remember Lawrence Arms shirts back in the day, and I had one that was, it said the Lawrence Arms, and it was just a picture of Stevie Wonder, and people were always just like, who's that? And I was like, oh, it's Stevie Wonder. Why does it say the Lawrence Arms? Oh, it's a band. Oh, okay. Uh, Didn't you know, really I, get too many people to check out your band with that one. No, man, I loved. We did a series of those. We did Stevie Wonder, Larry Flint. Mm-hmm. What was the red one? God damn it, I don't remember. The red, the um, red one third... was Stevie Wonder. If if there's another red one, the Stevie Wonder one was red. Oh, Stevie Wonder was red. Yeah, there was a third one, and then we did NWA, and that oh, cool. shirt is one of my favorites. It's like a silhouette of NWA. Mm-hmm. And no, nobody bought it. But every time I've ever seen someone wear it. It's like, it's like, it fits so well. And it's like, you know how like you have some shirts that screen and like, even if you're like, it like makes you look like you're in better shape than you're in because of the shape on the shirt. Oh yeah. (laughs) You know what I'm I'm talking about? Like Uh some shirts, some shirts where it's like the logo is a little too low and it's like, hi, this, I could never wear this. This makes me look like I have tits or something, you know, or Mm -hmm. (laughs) like, uh, or whatever. But that shirt looks so good on people. And I'm like, how come nobody bought this? Not only is it the coolest fucking shirt. It's got the coolest fucking hip hop group of all time on it, and you look you look good in it, man. So anyway, um, I, I hate to I I hate to be the one to tell you this, but uh, saying NWA is the coolest hip hop group of all time is like, dog, you're so you're such a dad. You're so old. Um, if you honestly think that anyone has like moved the needle in hip hop more than O'Shea Jackson during the NWA Dude. era, uh, then I would love to know who it is. I mean, just the fact that it birthed the entire concept of complete nihilistic insurgence. Um, and who cares? It could have been fucking the Mormon Tabernacle Choir standing behind him. I mean, for him coming out of the gate with straight out of Compton, going right into fuck the police and then gangster gangster. I mean, you know what? Fine. Go ahead. Bring it on. What's better? Who's better? Who's more important than NWA? Like we can say Eric B and Rakim is like pretty much the only thing that I would Dude, accept. have you fucking heard of this guy Kendrick? Like, come on. Kendrick's Kendrick's awesome, but he's Kendrick on the is shoulder a of fucking ju- artist. He's- he stands on the shoulders of giants for sure, and he is terrific. But like, it, I love Kendrick, and if I'm sitting around listening to hip hop, I'm probably a lot more likely to put on Kendrick than I am to put on NWA at this point. But like, you can't tell me that like, if if you take like, you know, like, Talib, uh, Trugoy, and Snoop Dogg and Ice Cube and mix them together. You don't have something kind of approximating a worse Kendrick Lamar. Like his shit exists. You know, it already existed. And he is better than everyone. I agree with that. Like there like I think he's got some I think his best song is uh fucking uh What's it fucking called? A good kid, Mad City. Uh, the art of storytelling. No, not art of storytelling is a outcast song. Uh, art of peer oh, pressure. Uh, that, oh, art of peer pressure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like that's one of the greatest tracks I've ever heard. I mean, like, talk about a fucking cinematic narrative, man. That is mm-hmm. un. 
believable shit. So I'm not like totally talking out of my dick here, but like he's he's the best. He's the best. And like something like even just like a big single like King Kunta is a fucking stomp. I mean, it's so undeniable and and like the video is so great in its like simplicity and like dedication to being what it's about. But he didn't fucking change the universe like Ice Cube did in NWA. I feel Ice Cube you. I feel changed you. the fucking universe. So Yeah. Call, LA nineteen ninety two. Yeah. I get it. I get call it. Call me a dad if you must. But I mean <laughs> Patreon.com slash better sandwich for more. For more fucking lame white dudes talking about hip hop. Um so I mean none of them are as good as, you know, third base or Eminem. Or uh, the Beastie Boys; those are like really my favorite hip hop for some reason. I don't know. I, I don't know what it is about those groups, but I really like them. Iggy uh, Azalea, uh... Fat Boy Slim. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't even know who he is. I, I don't know. So, so uh, one thing that I love about this is that it starts with a new song. It starts with "In Transit," which I think is such a fucking great single from Chris. It's such a cool moment that I think really highlights the direction moving forward where he's coming out of making such a big, you know, novelistic record with greatest story. And here he takes all of the vivid vividness of that language. But like this song's two minutes long, you know exactly what it's about. Everything that is, um, you know, a little bit more flowery is only adding to a feeling that everybody understands the moment they hear it. Yeah, I mean, this one, this is one of those ones that just like came together really nicely. Like the, uh, Chris knocked it out of the park by like with the with the writing and the lyricism and like the melodies on this, and uh, like what I was about to jump into, I feel like I should say that first because. Like, you know, obviously for me, like I play the bass and sing backup vocals on this. So that's like the part I'm most intimately connected to. I'm not Mm -hmm. trying to say like I fucking put anything in here that wasn't here. But when I like went in to do these like backup vocals, like the harmonies are so weird. And I think and they were just so intuitive because of what he had laid down. It like gave me the ability to do something that I think for for what I'm capable of was mm-hmm. uh, like at, at the at like the upper end of my performance capabilities, you know, and like and it's it again, it's not like my back and vocals are the showstopper or anything in this, but like just as they should never be, by the way. Uh, if the backing vocals are the best part of a song, uh, you better go back and figure out how to make something else the best part of the song. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean, it's a testament to how well this whole thing came together. That like, it's kind of like I was saying last week with uh, when I was talking about how Nick um, is, you know, he's so fast and smart that it makes me want to be fast and smart and like live up to. Play, play to the abilities in the room, right? The mm-hmm. the write the writing of this song made it easy for me to do things that I still listen back to. I'm like, wow, that that's cool, you know? Yeah, and that's that's just a testament to how like sort of effortless it sounds. Uh, the the song Chris's mm-hmm. 
songwriting there. Totally. Like the you way know? you come in on just Hard, like the hardest s- thing to do is make something sound easy. Yeah, just the way that you come in so quickly too on the bar was open, but for me the bar was closing. It's such a like that's such a great sing along part that doesn't sound like any other sing along part that I can think of. Getting in on that type of line, it's fucking mm-hmm. so good. Um and yeah, I I think that the movements of it are so good. The like so smart so witty so and funny and pretty and like i just love like singing that like just humming it just having it around it's got this really really nice just like happy up- uplifting feeling to it and i feel like <laughs> it's got a great energy that is oh wow that is so interesting that you say that because i hear that as being if not spiteful longing like it i think you're so smart and pretty and funny and witty and skinny is either like uh spiteful denouncement of Mm -hmm. someone or a regrettable like realization of the the speaker sure yeah Uh like like i'm like looking at this you know, girl, I've had a crush on since fifth grade, and I'm like, you're so smart and witty and funny and pretty and skinny, and I'm just this lump of shit over here. Uh huh. You you know what I mean? Or yeah. like, or I see it as like, the fuck do you know? You're like smart and pretty and funny and witty and skinny. I, <laughs> I, I, let me let me tell you a little story about me. I, you know, like you I think I, you're restless. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, I, I, I think, um, but you know, and I mean, like, I mean, the song is like ultimately loving, and uh, it it recognizes like the need for a human connection, but like, it's also about isolation a little bit, and I for sure. I mean. The last line, it's like when I stop and start thinking, I realize all the people I'm missing, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, that could be from longing for somebody across the room, or that could be from hanging out with the wrong fucking clueless dipshit that doesn't know, you know, like, doesn't know what's going on. Either way, uh, it it fits into the sort of the narrative of the song. And um, I don't know. That's always been my interpretation of it. Like, you know, as I've said many times, Chris and I don't ever talk about like what our intentionality is with any of these songs and which makes me, by the way, no more qualified to say what this song is about than any, anyone listening <laughs> or Tim, you, you could be completely right. And I could be completely wrong, but Hey, I think, uh, I think it's great. Cause we can always all be right. You know, it's kind of the magic of it, but that, yeah, that is, I, I believe that that's, um, that's what it says around the presidential seal now. <laughs> we could always all be right <laughs> so uh, my question is is this this feels like such a good first song but you're saying it came together so well so is the fact that it came together so well the reason you were like let's throw this on first i don't have that kind of um really like hyper honed in memory of it uh I just know 
that I think we we're just like, we should write a song for this. You know, mm-hmm. we should record at least one song. We ended up recording this and then re-recording two other songs, you know, just to like, right. cause at the time there was still, uh, the potential, uh, smoky room illusion that some people would buy records, uh, you know, as opposed to just listening to them for free. And so we were like, man, if people are going to buy this shit, it's already out there. And like, it is like a double album. The, the packaging is great, but you know, vinyl didn't become a thing that people started really, uh, collecting like they do now. And and labels didn't start producing for those collectors, like you know, till everything else sort of became digital and free. I would like to say I am perfectly aware that people have been collecting records ever since records started existing. I'm not saying record collecting is new, but I'm mm-hmm. talking about a very specific like buy and flip uh, sort of color variants. Yes, color mm-hmm. variants, stuff like that. You know this this was right around. Like when I first was becoming aware of that being a thing that we needed to uh, acknowledge when making a package, right? Mm-hmm. Um, whether or not we were like way late to the game, I don't know about that. But this is where this is where I sort of uh, remember us coming coming to that realization a little bit. But we recorded some extra songs just because we were like, we can't like sell people a CD. That's just nothing but songs that are already on other CDs. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got to put something on it. And, uh, you know, we had this one song. And I think that it's just like, I think it's even simpler than the fact that it like came together and it was so great. It was like, this is a fast, upbeat song. Turned out well. First song, of course. You start mm-hmm. with a new song. Because you start with an old song on a compilation record. People are like, what is this? I've heard this. It, you know, like... There's I mean, like, to an extent, yeah. I I don't know like how many people heard the uh, the splits during the well, time because the you know that's kind of a complicated process, um, especially with Shady View Terrace. Like, I don't know how available that was for a while. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I think that that's a good intentionality to have because you don't want to feel like you're just selling people the same shit. And any any time that you're thinking about how do we make this like worth people's money, that's a really good thought to have because it's going to make the actual compilation better. Sure. And I mean, like, you know, I mean, I'm not talking about after shows when we go out the back door and sneak around and like mug the weaker looking people that are heading back to their cars and take their wallets and stuff like that. But besides that aspect of our band, we really try not to rip anyone off ever. You know, like Mm -hmm. it's just like, it's, it just seems to me that if you have something that's in as much abundance as like, being able to play an instrument or sing, meaning that you could do it all the time if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. The people you're lucky enough to have people that like it and they're going to give you money. It seems only reasonable that what you offer them in return is 
as good as you can do it because it's like singing and playing guitar ain't that fucking hard, man. You know, like, mm-hmm. like, like, like if you, you get into a position where it's like, oh, when Tim Crisp sings and plays guitar, I would pay money for that shit. Meanwhile, you sit around your house and are just like, I walk the line or whatever the fuck you're playing, you know, like on guitar, like you do it for free. So it's like, why not? Like when you're getting paid for it, put a little more effort into it. I don't know. It's maybe maybe I'm a maybe I'm just an old dad listening to NWA out in my fucking you know Vista Cruiser. Um. Well, I, I I again I promised you that we would we would be done in time for you to watch Full House on ABC Family, but um, uh, I I hope your well, VCR is set just in case. Yeah, um, no, I, I got it. You, that, that shows that shows for children, by the way. Wheel of Fortune is the show I like to watch. Uh, go on. <laughs> I can't wait to talk about Metropole, and I can't wait to talk about your new record because I think that there is a lot of what you just said that goes into the fact that there haven't been as many Lawrence Arms records in the past few years, and the best uh, the best part about that is that you make the ones that you make fucking count, and you don't fucking make them every two and a half years just because you're supposed to oh man i i I fucking appreciate that a lot uh yeah i it's it's definitely like the same thing it's like we it if we're lucky enough that like there's people that want to hear we're lucky enough that people want to hear our band so bad that they're even listening to me prattle on about a record that's like you know 15 years old right now like that's unbelievable you can't take that kind of thing for granted i mean i guess you can but you'd be a real dick uh and and so it's like you know we can't get together to make these records as much as we used to but it's like it means a lot to me that people are along for the ride and it means a lot to me to not let those people down you know and i take it very seriously as much as it's just fun and seems like a carnival of buffoonery Every, wherever I am or whatever, but mm-hmm. I, you know, should, it shows my dude. Man. It shows my dude. People, people connect with it for, and um, I think it's, I think it's the the right move in pretty much every facet. Um, there is something that I think is like really special about in transit and the placement here because. Quince and Tuple Your Money is such a great second song. It's so good following this one. And I got to say, the, like, I, I do a pretty good job of holding back on listening to the Lawrence Arms when we've got this podcast going on. I try not to just go back to the old favorites so that I can get a good amount of excitement with listening and getting ready to talk about it i played this song so many fucking times in my apartment like just this this might be my favorite song of yours for this band well when i first uh when i first wrote this song uh it was like the day before we left for europe and i know that I've told you this before, but um, to make a long story short, it was like a nine-week tour or something, and I sang this song in my head every fucking day because I was terrified I was going to forget it because I didn't have time to record it. 
and uh and like <laughs> there's almost nothing it's like keeping the watch in your ass uh, from Pulp Fiction you know <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> I mean and, and it, you know what it actually that analogy is better than I thought it was because at the end it's like you kept this up your ass for three years this fucking thing like, <laughs> who cares <laughs> you know, you know? <laughs> like like Oh really? That, that, yeah, no, that song's like it's it's good. I got yeah, it's fine. It's good. <laughs> like you really like sat in the back of a fucking uh, windowless van at the Slovenian border with dudes pointing machine guns at you, fucking saying coins and dumping your money to yourself so you wouldn't forget it on the off chance you s- survived. Uh, <laughs> that's cool. Uh, yeah, so we've got we we've got the the that story over on Patreon now. Um it's patreon.com slash better sandwich. Um you you hold on to this song. Um I I feel like this is just when you say it's the best song you'd ever written, I look at it and I say, Okay, cool. When we get into like categorical like analysis of the Lawrence Arms, like what makes what makes the like top tier stand out to me? This is the one that just like makes the template. It's got all of the things that you are looking to hit moving forward. Well, you know, I think the thing about this is I no longer think this is like the best song. I thought it was the best song I'd ever written at the time. Um, one thing I think is kind of interesting about it is that the the hook is a bass riff, which is pretty unusual. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, when I did it at the studio, I did because you know it starts out on uh, the high strings with it, mm-hmm. it, you know at the at the top of the song, and then when it, the first verse and then uh, whatever you want to call it, like sort of um, big opening up, what would be the chorus if there was a chorus in this song happens. Then it goes back and I do it on the low strings. And mm-hmm. when I did it, Neil started laughing his ass off. He was like, seriously, we're doing the low version? <laughs> I, like, I was like, yeah. I was like, I know. And, and, and like, I thought it sounded really funny too. But to, to see Neil just like break. Like it wasn't like he was laughing like, ha you know, that's funny. It was like. He didn't expect to start laughing. It was like involuntary laughter when he heard it, uh-huh. which to me, to me is like, well, you know, I mean, as we've said so many times, it's like, okay, then it has to stay. That has to, <laughs> it has to yep. be what it is, mm-hmm. you know? And But it's odd. And then at the end of the song, when it comes back, it's an octave. So it's very strange to have a song that is um, where the – opening bass riff that never actually repeats is the hook of the song Mm -hmm. you know that is highly unusual and the fact that this song i think if you you know you were just doing like a a where's fucking iran on a map kind of test about lawrence arm songs uh and you're asking people just casually they would say that this song is one of the ones with a big chorus but it doesn't have a chorus it doesn't have a chorus yeah you know um and it's it's just structured 
like a very traditional pop song, but it still clings to sort of like the, what I would say is like the old, the Lawrence Arms old world uh, methodology of writing something that's just very much more like storytelling and less interested in like popping certain things out. Um, totally. Of, popping. You know. <laughs> yeah, for like, 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 uh, yeah. Using touch points as a as a point of familiarity in art is like, you know, something that you know everybody says. Your your mom says like, you can't break the rules until you know the rules. But once you do, then you can break on that. Picasso mm-hmm. was a great painter before he started painting fucking in his cubist form or whatever. And it's like, yeah, man, if the fucking people in American Gothic didn't look like people, you know, it wouldn't be a good painting. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, like you have to use familiar, familiar touch points in art, um, in order for it to be like resonant and with music, which is like sort of like a moving medium more than almost anything else besides like, you know, movies and stuff like that. But there's a reason it's so referential. And there's a reason that people do things like refrains and stuff like that is because you get to know it here and then you get to experience it having had that knowledge here. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's, this song happens to kind of bridge that gap accidentally, but uh, there's a reason, there's a reason that people don't like the early stuff as much. And it's because, you know, it's because it was kind of like right. being, like being arrogant enough to be like, well, actually I know it's better than, you know, <laughs> fucking decades and centuries of like masters honing a craft. I, I I might be 25 or whatever, but I've figured this out a little better. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's funny though, because you start from here trying to write choruses for apathy and you do with a lot of success. I think that this song still exceeds most of those just just naturally you know yeah this this one is like lucky enough that i think lyrically it it hits above its it punches above its weight class a little bit like Mm -hmm. the lyrics in this one i think are pretty good i mean it's it's a lot of it is about um uh hanging out down at the uh at the lagoon we were talking about before with mattresses um, yeah 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 but this uh-huh. is this is the more like romanticized part where i leave out all the the cruisers uh, right you know it's just like what well, okay no it's not even it's like the whole thing where it's like there's a park in this city where i used to go and now it's covered with fences and cops and light posts mm-hmm. that was that was the area that we used to go sit around in and it was because there's a bunch of weed smokers and people sucking each other's dicks down there that like they had to put up all these lights and like cut down all the trees and make it. So it was like, you know, I mean, uh, disnified a little bit, mm-hmm. um, sort of, it's a, it's a pouring, pouring one out for the end of an era of, a a great, like gritty Chicago thing that I grew up with. Yeah. The, I think the sentiment of, I'd never go back if anything was the same, but it kills me to know that it's changed. It's that's it. In you know, a, in a freaking perfect statement. So clean. You're laughing. Oh, <laughs> no, I'm not. I like, because 
I don't know why that is so commonly misquoted, but I've seen a lot of tattoos that say what you just said, and that is not the lyrics. Mm. Um, <laughs> I think it's like one of those like lyric things on the internet, and because it's I'd never go back, even if it was the same. Okay, that's what the lyric is, and like I, th- the thing is, I think there's a crucial difference there. Like, I'd never go back if anything was the same. Implies that I've grown out of it. I'd never go back even if it was the same. Is like, there's more nuanced, complicated feelings there. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I like, think so. Like, I'd never date my ex-girlfriend, even if she was exactly the same as when we dated her. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, I'd never date my ex-girlfriend if anything about, even if anything about her was the same. They're very different thoughts. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, um, like, so, and I'm sorry for those of you out there that have the wrong words tattooed on you. Like, I have never had the heart to say it to your faces, but I have definitely thought it many times. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I, just so you know, I think both are cool sentiments. They're just different. Mm-hmm. Um... <laughs> <laughs> it's unfortunate uh, I do think that this song is just like really cosmic you know it's like it sees it sees everything from a very um, pulled back perspective but also so intimate the woman who watches the talk shows and um, you know you get really really great pieces of life that are happening here but you're like pointing out the fact that every one of these pieces are all moving together in this in this large space Mm -hmm. i mean i think the big thing in this song is about missing things in general you know and like whether that means in terms of i mean it less in terms of crying about something that's gone and more in terms about missing the point and like mm-hmm. the the sort of and and not in a like oh how fuck duh dummy you missed the point more like man we cruise through a lot of this life and you know sometimes you miss the point like you don't understand the jokes but it feels good to laugh anyway you know um yeah. like there's there's like this there's this park I used to go to, and they've destroyed it, and that I wouldn't go back there anyway, you know. But like, whatever, you know. Like, it's a loss. It's like it's not. It's not what it was, and what it was was part of a universe that you existed right. in. Sorry, I'm like getting way out there with it, but no. But it, but it's even like giving a fucking folded up flag to some mom. It's like. Dude, mm-hmm. I think you're kind of missing the point. <laughs> you know, like that's uh, yeah, that is a gesture. <laughs> I don't know how great it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like like it it, and I think that's it's just sort of. I think what I'm was going for here was just like the general fallibility of humanity and like sort of. Missing things, you know, that's, that's the best way I can put it. And then 
every time you go into trying to understand anything, there's a little bit of a risk that you will miss the boat and either look stupid or make a mistake that you'll have to pay for, right? And mm -hmm. uh, uh, we were walking back from 7-Eleven while we were recording this EP, and um, I was like talking to Neil and Chris, and we were talking about, <laughs> I think one of us maybe bought a scratch-off or something, and you could win up to 500 bucks. And we're like, what is that? That's how, what, how much, what would you do? Like if you like double your money and then we were like sitting there, we're like quint, quint, cent, cent, centuple, cent, cent, cent is a hundred. So it's quincentuple, quincentuple. Uh, <laughs> and then and we're like, ah, we'll call that this song that we're recording right now. We'll call it that, you know? Uh, yeah. So, but so that's not a real word, by the way. Uh, oh. I mean, <laughs> we made it up with holding a bunch of 40s and scratch-offs. <laughs> I love that so much of this band is just like making each other fucking giggle for the sake oh, yeah. of it. Yeah, uh, that's like one of the main things. <laughs> yeah, I think that there's a there's a real magic to this one did you how much intentionality did you bring into this this is before the like we're we're done in 15 minutes sort of thing because like i think that this song really has a very nice like linear path that it goes to and it makes a like great and large statement at the end and it's built so well to get there did you you know, what was the writing process like for it? How does it start? How does it develop? Absolutely. 100% sat down, wrote a page of lyrics, picked up a guitar, played it all the way through the first time. It was like, that's the song. Yeah. That's like, I literally, I think the very first time I played this song was exactly the same way I would play it on an acoustic guitar today. That's amazing. You know, mm -hmm. it's just like, which is like when the words, I was lucky enough to like sort of like slip into this good batch of words. I mean, and again, I write it so like stream of consciously that I don't even want to like take credit for the words, but they just happen to work out so well and be so rhythmically evocative that I was like, I'm just not going to even, you know, there's no reason to do any heavy lifting with the guitar. Like, let's, mm -hmm. let's just let's just see how it goes. You know, and then it's it's pretty natural. I mean, these are some of the most sort of classic tropes in guitar pop that there are. You know, it's just like you, so just you, G D E minor C, right? Kind of. Well, yeah, it's just like it's like G C into G D E minor C, mm -hmm. and then G D C. Yeah, and then, and then you, do, you do it again, and then you <laughs> uh -huh. have a bridge that go, and then you have a bridge that goes to the minor. I mean, it's like. It, God forbid that took me any amount of time. <laughs> like, yeah, so for sure. It's it's obvious, but so but what about again, when you're when you're like working it with the band a little bit? Because I think that the the dynamic changes here are all really perfect. They all fucking hit home. Whatever point you're trying to make, whether it's you know very tender or big, band's there for it. We. Um, with a lot of the songs from this era, uh, there is like so much nuance that's just developed over the course of the whatever 
15 years or whatever since we put this since we recorded these songs initially even more than that um and these are all songs that these are the first songs that we started playing a lot and these outlasted a lot of the apathy songs also mm-hmm. so these are some of the songs we play the most like we're these are the ones that are the most like tattooed into our skin or you know in our blood whatever you you know trace trace amounts in our urine however you want to put it uh so the nuances have really 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 evolved in particularly the the four songs off the present day memories i mean mm-hmm. the the last one being a little bit more rigid in structure so it doesn't get as much room to like sort of play but i mean this song and hundred resolutions i mean they're when we play them live now, they're almost right. unrecognizable. Like yeah. not unrecognizable, but so much more like muscly, and they turn so many more corners. Mm-hmm. Does that come from playing it in front of a lot of screaming people? Um, I think it just comes from like us all feeling it and just learning to develop as a band. These were the tools we lear- used. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like as 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 a group of dudes who played. Like these were the songs that we played for. We still play these songs, you know. Right. And yeah, and and like I said, they've outlasted a lot of the apathy stuff. They're way older than the greatest story stuff. So it's like th- these these are our like wax on wax offs, you know. Like so, like they fucking right. Like they've just developed into such a thing that's like where there's like almost like a psychic connection there. I you know I was telling you about how last week how Neil and I like can just like hit stops and stuff at the same time. Um, and, and I said last week, that's not to say that Chris doesn't have that same sort of like hive brain. Like when we play these songs, it, they like, sometimes we'll all just do a stop at the same time mm-hmm. and that we've never talked about before. You know, it's just like, we're all feeling it and it just like kicks in. It's like stage, um, telepathy or something like that, you know? And I love that. So when you get this one and then hundred resolutions, does the, does the amount of recognition that those songs get, like this is playing hundred resolutions now different than it was in 2004? Mm, I don't know exactly. I mean, I guess Playing it's tough because the crowds are are definitely bigger. Yeah, and like the thing is, like, okay, uh, Quince and Tuple, your money is is a cool song. It, it's Harder Resolutions is beyond being a song at this point. It's like a, um, it's sort of part of the DNA of our band and what you think of when you think of our band. It's like. It's become its own song that I wouldn't like say Brick Wall Views. No, because Brick Wall Views is a song like for fans, people want to see it live. Uh, the live version of it is the great version of it and everything. Um, which I mean, that in that way, that sounds a lot like Quinn's Tell Your Money. It's just Brick Wall Views is a better song. Um, but Haunted Resolutions is like. The New Year's Eve song for a certain subset of punk rock kids. Like, you know, it's it's bigger than 
it's bigger than us. Uh, the song is not bigger than us, like in the way that like "Don't Stop Believing" is bigger than Journey. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I just mean it's more than just a song on a record. You know, like it. Uh, this is there's people out there that play their song on New Year's Eve who have no fucking idea who we are. That's you know? wild. And it's, and it's not our most popular song, mm-hmm. uh, but I think it's the most like emo- like it. It occupies a very special place in the canon of the Lawrence Arms. Yeah, I like that perspective a lot because I was thinking about how this is, I think, similar to the way we talked about Fairy Tale New York being a Christmas song very much, but bigger than a Christmas song. Like, there's not mm-hmm. the, like, there's not quite the, uh, you know, capitalist uh, industry behind New Year's songs, but this is a song that is, like, so much about New Year's, but it's really not bound to being a new Year's song. This is an every yeah, fucking day song. Yeah. This is a song about introspection. Right. Mm-hmm. And like almost, I don't know. Like I think maybe something to the effect of like, um, I am always torturing myself with this introspection and today is the day that I like actually kind of have to do it out loud. You know, mm-hmm. like, uh, I, I, and again, it's just, like, I'm just being interpretive. I, I don't, I didn't write this song, but, um, it seems there's a real wistfulness to it, even though it's listing ways that you're going to improve the, do you believe it? when you listen to the song, you know, like, I don't know. I mean, like, I can't, I can't really speak one way or the other to, again, his intentionality, nor to what I even think. First of all, this song is fucking impossible for me to hear with any sort of new ears. You know, (laughs) like, like, all right, this is quite arguably the most played Lawrence Arm song. Yeah. Uh, I, I can't think of something that we've played. There's no way. There's no way there's a song that we've played more than this. It's definitely 100% got to be the most played Lawrence Arms song. Yeah, man. When you talk about this stuff being like the beginning and like um, the first couple records being their own sort of thing, it's like what turnstiles really like survives that in terms of like songs that you play most nights and yeah even turnstiles gets played like once a tour right oh for real that's wild to me it Uh, it doesn't get played that much well like it chris doesn't love singing it and i think that oh sure the the d yeah 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 it's in d uh, not not the d yeah and and, uh if you know, if something's like not fun to perform and then you know, we're in a position where we have a lot of songs, so it's like something else could take its place. Yeah, totally. Easily. You know, but you fucking gotta play this one. Yeah, I mean hundred resolutions. I am sure there have been shows where we haven't played hundred resolutions, but I can't think of any. Mm-hmm. Like I think this is the only I, there's a lot of songs that we we play every single night now but none of them are this old Mm -hmm. you know totally 
Uh, yeah, I mean, this is just, um, I think it's a really special moment from Chris where so much of his work is, you know, is wanting to, wanting to break out, wanting to stand up for yourself, wanting to be, you know, a little bit more just open and confident. And I love, I, I think that he always balances that really well, where it's like, here's a song about like the way I feel inside and the way I want to feel like on the outside every fucking person can identify with both of those things. And I think Chris shows it's enough of himself to where you're fucking in with them. You know, you, you just hug that boy's heart in so many yeah. ways. He has a, he has a good way of, um, he has a good way of showing his vulnerability without, letting you know what the problem specifically is you know what i mean yeah, like definitely uh like and, and so it's just like and a lot of it i mean just i say this just as a fan like trying to like sort of understand where his like soul's at or whatever but it's like a lot of it's like i'm i can't really open up that's something that really bothers me for certain reasons. <laughs> it's like, right, right. And you're not uh-huh. doing that now, you know? And I like, right. and it's, it's very, it's very clever. Uh, and I don't, I don't even know how intentional that is and how much it's like just uh, a thought that he has. And that's the way he expresses it. I mean, how autobiographical that is, mm-hmm. and, you know, I've known Chris for 30 years, 33 years. Um, and, um, I mean, like, I've seen so many facets of his personality. I don't know how much, you know, how much of the stuff is, like, totally autobiographical, how much of it is sort of art exercises, and how much of it is semi, I, I think a lot of it it's is. kind of like, like both, least, are, both are kind of, like, leading the other, I would say. Right, but my my point is, I don't know if he intentionally is being so clever by being, like, I can't open up. I can't connect with anyone for reasons I'm not going to explain. And it's like, that's very, very clever. Yeah. But it's also exactly how you would say that if that was the case. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah, like, totally. Uh... <laughs> Dude, I, I listened back to the Better Yet interview that I did with him, which is over on Patreon. And it is so funny listening to myself just be like, so uh greatest story ever told what was going on and he's just like um no you know and i was like "Uh (laughs) uh-huh okay well that's cool i didn't need to know (laughs) i was like all i want and then but then it's just like hey you know what fucking shut up and move on he's he's giving it all to you in his art freaking demanding right. little dweeb <laughs> i believe uh tips talking about himself not chris uh when he said oh i hope that that's dweeb. abundantly <laughs> i hope that that's abundantly clear um <clears throat> there's no place like a stranger's floor i love this song because i don't i can't think of too many chris songs that are this fast the song is just I love the melodies. I love the harmonies that I get to do in this. Um, I love the sentiment. I think 
the end is like one of my favorite parts of any song that we play. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the lyrics are cool. Um, also, like, I think that now when we play this live, I sing way more of this than I think anybody would like, but it's just because I love the song so much and I want to sing it. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm doing the thing that you do in the crowd when you sing along with a song you love. I do that for this song. Like, I'm, there's times when I'll sing every word to this and I don't, you know, Chris has never come up to me and been like, hey, will you not do that? Mm-hmm. Uh, so like and and I, I I don't like our thing has always been like ever since um well kind of ever since this because that was like the whole thing with like in transit was we were like we should sing a lot together you know and like you were talking yeah. about how like all of a sudden I'm in on the second line and then the next thing is Oak Calcutta where it's like everybody's all in all the time and you know I Chris and I are always like I don't care what's on the record. Sing as much of this as you want, as you can, you know, mm-hmm. like live, it's always going to translate a little bit, you know, for our sensibility. I'm not, not for all bands or whatever, but like the way that I think people like us is like that sort of dynamic and also like United front. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and, uh, so I have definitely been given the uh, the green light to go ahead and sing all this song if I want, but I don't, you know, I don't uh-huh. know. I like it's the kind of thing I'd rather not ask anyone about because it's like, no, fuck you. I I love this song. I want to sing it. Right, right. <laughs> so, Dude, so. I, I think it's like very, very, uh, like conscious that you're you're really good at not like like overtaking in any way even though even though it's obvious just based on your personalities that you can be you can be louder than chris anytime you want and you you never you never cross that line in my opinion i think that you're really good at like keeping an awareness there well i think that uh there is um on one hand chris has a very loud singing voice Mm -hmm. um he really, he really can belt it out, and uh, I used to not be able to, but now I am very loud as well, um, uh, which was something that probably changed around 10, 10 or 12 years ago, but, you know, what you hear on the records is obviously mixed together, and my voice is just more diffuse, diffuse, mm-hmm. or whatever, and, uh, and as a result, it does a really it's easy to tuck it behind something and still be able to hear the notes I'm, I'm hitting without it overtaking. It's more of a product of, um, I, I really appreciate what you're saying and I would love to be like, yes, I am. I'm so restrained. I exercise such restraint, but really it's just fortunate, um, that like the way my voice sort of breaks up, it can kind of like wrap around the back of Chris's like sort of like brassier voice, even though I know that's not initially what you'd say. I think that's, like just in terms of like mm-hmm. describing a tone, it it makes sense. And um you know, I could kinda like wrap around the back of that like with a softer, uh like more diffused sound and it yeah, I think it works really nicely. I don't think I could take very much credit for any of it, but it's like shit really fell together right in that fucking way. Yeah, totally. Oh my god, I love uh, you know just just thinking about it, like all the harmonies and just the way freezing rain just like 
picks up. It's the way that fucking um, it's really hard, I think, to to do something that's fast and then kind of like slows down in the way that this one does where Chris is like dropping the verses and then the, the pickups on like freezing rain are so good. It's just such a it's it's a difficult thing to achieve, I think, that is seamless on this track. Yeah, well, sometimes that stuff does sound really unnatural, right? Like mm-hmm. when something go- goes from like slow to like, you know, and like yeah. it st- starts up again. I mean, I think with a, a lot of great songs that do it well, a lot of fine songs do it poorly. Uh, it's thanks, you know. Um, I it's think- like the, the freezing, <laughs> the freezing rain. I think just comes and like whisks it, whisks it off. Yeah, a little bit. Um, yeah, it's fun. It makes me want to sing. Uh, you can if you want. This is your podcast. Mm. No, cool. it's not. It's our podcast. <laughs> That's right. Uh, hey, what time is Pensacola Wings of Gold on anyway? Um, the past. I think uh. it's on in the past. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not sure that there's too much Pensacola Wings of Gold. I, you know, funny, funny story. I've never seen that show. Uh, I don't have any idea what it's about. Well, I mean, I know it's about, I know it's about like, uh, air force people or, mm-hmm. you know, Navy guys on aircraft carriers or whatever, but that's literally all I know. And, uh, I don't know if this is like, uh, like your moment to shine or something like that. Tell me all about Pensacola, Gold, but I really don't care. <laughs> I, <laughs> like it's not, it's not. In fact, I think this is, uh, this was, my moment to say i have a pretty good base for syndicated television shows i have no fucking idea what this show is like yeah it's not it's not like it's coach which i knew existed it's remarkably bad uh like just from the previews and stuff like Mm -hmm. or or the, the ads that i was watching you know like i mean it's i think the i don't think you need too much like you don't need to fucking burn too much intellectual coal into steam to figure out what the title is about. It's yeah. like, I'm lazy as shit. This is the worst possible TV show. Uh, maybe I'll still be sitting here when it comes on. You know? Yeah. How do you, how do you feel about this song now? Uh, I, I like this song a lot. Um, I think um, if I'm, jumping into what i think you're talking about are, are you referring to me saying talking to this bitch and like being no like, no 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 no, no. <laughs> i'm i'm talking because about the point of that whole thing was an antagonistic situation uh-huh. you know what i mean and like and uh i felt that i felt the art called for it there um, I, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not, I'm not one to make a habit of calling women bitches or anything like that, but, um, you know, the idea of a frustrated basement dweller that hates everything. That's just like listening, you know, watching terrible TV, drinking forties. And then like one time goes outside and just fucking meet somebody they can't stand, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, <laughs> The truth of that character, I felt like that was the way to best exemplify it, right? And that character very much 
could have been me. I mean, you know. Like, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, totally. I you know. I was not I I wasn't uh getting getting ready to shame you for using the B word 20 years ago. Um I I like this song a lot. Um and I really really like like every movement of it. Um the reason I brought it up was I was like is, when you hear the song now do you think it's too long? Do you, you know, how do you where does it rest for you? At this point, because I think long. it does. It's, it's long, but it ne- it needs all of that that time. I agree. Like the, you know, I I when we did uh, the apathy one, I talked about how very long. I thought some of those songs felt. This song is long, but it's there's a reason that it's long, and I feel like the build, the instrumental build, is very long, but it really works. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very meticulously constructed i guess for lack of a better thing to to go from like the sort of like low like swinging like dark like almost like southern gothic like lazy kind of thing Mm -hmm. into like this tension building riff part into sort of the octaves you know it's like it's supposed to like have that story there. Um, and like, uh, no, I, I really like this. So this, this is also a writing exercise Two two things in this one. Number one was, um, the, uh, the song March of the crabs by propaganda on today's empires, tomorrow ashes, mm-hmm. you know, when it says like, Ba-na-na-na, a short fuse to scatter. Yeah. Steady hands forget to remember. I was like, that part's really cool. Da-na-na-na, killing time. Yeah. Right? I, like, I changed the melody, but that was where I mm-hmm. grabbed that. Like, yeah, I love that you just dropped. Mm-hmm. And, then, um, and then I've always said that I thought that the lyrics, I don't care, are the stupidest lyrics you can ever put in a song because it's like, then what the fuck are you singing about it for? Mm-hmm. You know, like like singing that you don't care is just, it's just, it's a fucking disingenuous waste of my time. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. and I, this was like always a rule that I sort of had um, just in my head. I didn't, I didn't really talk about that much, but then when I was writing this song, I was like, how can I say I don't care in a way that makes it actually mean something as opposed to negate everything that's going on in the song? Yeah. You know? And so that was like sort of the intellectual exercise I was working with when I was putting the song together. Um, does it, does your, um, I don't care, like your feeling about that. Does it relate to like grunge to that? Kind of. Yeah, yeah. I think so. I think so. And lazy punk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? And, and I mean, th- this, the, the thing is that I'd like to be crystal clear on is that I'm aware that there's a lot of great songs that have the phrase, I don't care in them. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, this was just a thing that I just sort of, for whatever reason, it rubbed me the wrong way. Um, you know, and, and like, and hell, there's a slapstick song where the, one of the choruses says, I don't care. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, so it's, it's something that I'm aware. I'm kind of like, 
fucking talking out of both sides of my mouth with this one but like no i i think that there's like a really specific thing that i definitely identify with especially because um you know grunge kind of came back into vogue uh like four or five years ago everybody tried to sound like the Lemonheads, uh, mm-hmm, there was a mm-hmm. big Nirvana influence, like, people were really trying to rip off pavement in, like, you know, punk and emo indie rock circles, and I was like, you know, just, like, trying to act like a slacker in 2016 is really fucking boring, and the the reason Nirvana worked is because people like gave a shit and not enough people give a shit about your indie rock band right now. Like you gotta, you gotta give me more than that. Cause I don't fucking, I don't give a shit if you don't give a shit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I mean, also like with the, you know, for like what I, I remember when Nirvana came out, people were like, have you heard this band? You must love them. And I'm like, this is not a punk band. Get the fuck out of here. Like I, you know, Nirvana is, a good band, but I mean, they're an indie rock band. They're a very heavy indie rock band. And like, I know people can say like, Oh, you're the punk police or whatever, but it's like, no, I feel like the, the chord structures and the, the tones and like the song structures are indie rock song structures. hundred percent. It's not like what I thought of at the time when I think of punk rock. I mean, if you want to call Nirvana a punk band today, I don't care. I'm not trying right, to. Yeah. I don't care. I don't mm-hmm. care. I don't care. I don't care. Uh, <laughs> but, you, you know, but Dude, I don't uh, care. like I'm, I'm definitely over this. But at the time, you know, I'm listening to like Minor Threat and Bad Religion. And like there's like a kid in my biology class being like, you must love this Nirvana band because they're punk. And I'm like, no, mm-hmm. no. Minor Threat is a punk rock band. Like Nirvana is a whole different kind of thing. Uh, but there's no denying that when they fucking came out, people had like never seen some shit like that before where right. it's like, Oh, the, these guys are kind of like ugly on purpose. And like, uh, even though this guy's accidentally still beautiful, that's a <laughs> weird thing to yeah. pull off, you know? Like, and, and like, and like the girls have got like hairy armpits and they're like, wearing just like shitty undershirts on stage and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I'm, in a very similar way that NWA like shook things up by just like wearing undershirts and shit like that yeah. in hip hop, you know, not to bring up my shitty dad taste again, but, uh, you know, <laughs> but, um, like, so in 2016, when the grunge is being re animated, uh, mm-hmm. Frankenstein style, Everybody knows about everything because there's the internet, you know? Yeah. So it's like you're you're not coming out of some, like, weird dark corner. That's why, like, things that get popular now are, like, two, like, pregnant Tennessee teenagers, like, singing a song, like, by putting pop rocks in their ass or something. And people are like, I've never seen anything like this before, you know? Because <laughs> that's all that's left that no one's ever seen before. <laughs> you know? Like. Yeah. Like, mu- Oh, aggressive malaise? Yeah, we've got plenty of that. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, the the thing that I thought about a lot when I was listening to this this song is the fact that it really reminded me of the fact that you started this band when you were in college. And to me, this is like such a 
college scene. And I know you have that. There's that line about like, you know, how's school? I don't know if that's you speaking to somebody else or someone is speaking to you. But to me, like the the malaise of this song, the 40 in the fridge, jacking off again, because like, I mean, what you're you're laying around watching tv and like you got a halfie so you might as well like bring it bring it up to uh bring it up to ready space and then go for it totally i mean this is this is very much um yeah it's very much a college experience song i mean and and i was living at the time in a basement when i wasn't on tour which was almost never but when I would get like time down there, I didn't even want to be there. Like I felt just trapped, you mm-hmm. know. Like, like, and I mean, we, I was living in the same room as Marcus Marcus Kretzman, actually. Um, and Dang. like our like my mattress was on the floor next to his bed. Mm-hmm. Like that's like we slept in one in the same zone. Yeah, you know, uh, like we could hold hands in bed. And we often did. Um, but, Jacking off again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, no, no. More, more like, more like sorrow handshake, holding hands when we woke up both so hungover. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, it, it's still you know whether I was in or out of school, it was still very much that college experience of like having no money and like sort of like, and I felt just like very like anchorless because I. I I'm staying on the floor of another guy's studio apartment. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it was it, like, I didn't, I, I lived in a van, uh-huh. and it, you know? So, uh, yeah. And it felt useless to talk to anybody about anything. Yeah. Uh, and hence like the aggression that is on display in this song. I love, I love how, how pissed off the song is. Um, just real quick. Uh, who's your favorite? Family Feud host. Um, you know, I probably have to say um, I really admire Richard Dawson's like unabashed uh, dedication to creepiness. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> um, but I think I'm a Steve Harvey guy. Whoa. I think I like Steve Harvey. Whoa. Imagine that. Look who's growing up here. <laughs> it's That's not right. this back in my day guy over here. Oh, it's Steve Harvey. All right. What, what a progressive choice. Uh, well, he, 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 he moves the show along really well. And he's yeah. funny. I guess I haven't watched too much of him. I, I loved Ray Combs. R.I.P. He's the one that killed himself, right? Yeah. yeah. Very good E! True Hollywood story about Family Feud because it goes from Ray Combs, uh, Richard Dawson comes back and it's not cool in 1994 to be Richard Dawson. A pervert. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, Louis Anderson takes the gig and then it takes like six months for him to get in trouble for trying to pick someone up on the uh, old like, Las Vegas streets there. Mm-hmm. All right. So presenting the dancing machine the robot with the monkey head i'm glad that you grew out of uh these super elaborate song titles um personally but (laughs) it seems to be like such a product of uh of that time like let's let's come up with the 
most uh the most wild ass song titles we can for everything well you know um the last thing i want to say uh and have be taken too seriously is that we were like pioneers in literally anything but when we started doing these like crazy ass long song titles it was not a thing people were doing mm-hmm. And it was, like, right around this time that people started doing it a lot. And that was when we were like, yeah, all right, fuck this. We're not doing this anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, when I thought it – I think that, like, what Chris and I thought it was interesting to do, like, really long, crazy song titles because it's, like, created a level of atmosphere and personality um, that maybe wasn't going to shine through with our, like, maybe lack of technical and – creative proficiency all the mm-hmm. time um you know so there could still be like i mean it's like it's a precursor to the to the liner notes in fucking greatest story sure. told you know what i mean it's the same thing but just done those liner notes are like long song title on steroids mm-hmm. right uh you know and i was like obviously like i'm Dillinger four was doing like long song titles uh we didn't really you say you, you kind of kind of became friends with them a little bit later, right? Right, and and like I, why I listened to and liked Dillinger Four, I didn't really know the names of their songs, and mm-hmm. like seeing some of their song titles being like really long was another thing that made me be like, oh, well, I don't want to look like we're ripping off anybody yeah. either, you know? Like, I was like, and this is with no offense intended towards fallout boy. But I was like, if fallout boy is doing long ass fucking song titles, we don't need to be doing long ass song titles. Like there's just, it's just not a good look for us. You know, um, if Dillinger four is doing long ass song titles, we'll just look like we're copying them. And Mm -hmm. you know, it's just more of a parallel pathing thing. Totally. But, uh, that being said, this is a great song title. (laughs) <laughs> I wasn't I was not I thought, knocking the song title itself. <laughs> but the 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 really funniest part about this is that I named this song <laughs> and then I want to say maybe even the next year I don't know if it came out or if it was just the first time I saw it. Dil Javor had a song called It's a Fine Line Between the Monkey and the Robot. And I was like, oh my fucking God. <laughs> I was like, I can't. Fine. I, I, you know, it's good, it's good you know, that you it, got out while you were ahead. Maybe that's well, it's the like, one thing. It's like that thing. fucking... <laughs> it's like when Lisa takes the bite of the hot dog, you know, in, in uh, the Quickie Mart. And she's like, the whole world wants me to eat meat. Fine. <laughs> you know? <laughs> It was just like, I saw that and I was like, oh, I don't even do the long song titles anymore because I yeah, yeah, didn't yeah. know, but now I know. Oh my God, they've got a song that's called almost the exact, fine. I love Dillinger 4, I rip them off all the time. I, I don't know, I don't care anymore. <laughs> what, do you, what do you want? <laughs> yeah, the, the parallel paths with you and D4 is like fucking a beautiful thing. What is the title a reference to then? Um, just... Presenting the Dancing Machine, there was a band that was on the fest one year called Ted Dancing Machine. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was so funny uh, at the time. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I, I mean, it was kind of right when that kind of like portmanteau 
uh, I don't even know if you call that a portmanteau, right? Or like a sentence portmanteau or whatever. Uh, things were really in vogue, and I was like definitely as hook, line, and sinker as the rest of the mm-hmm. world about that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. You know, like Brian Jonestown Massacre, yeah. stuff like that. Uh, Edward Scissorhands to yourself. I don't know. You know, I mean, you can make them up real fast. Olivia Newton, uh, John Wayne Newton. <laughs> <laughs> um but uh the so the the first part was presenting the dancing machine i was inspired by the by the band name ted dancing machine but it was also based on the chorus being like shake 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 so like the idea of like shake 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 that's that's like kind of like a dance um you know, trope in rock and roll. So that I, I felt like it was an appropriate, you know, I wrote this song that was supposed to like sort of subvert the idea of saying the word shake, uh, to mean dancing. And then I saw this band name and I was like, ah, oh, that's really funny. Mm-hmm. But I think Neil talked me out of calling it Ted dancing <laughs> machine. He's like, that's yeah. already a band. And I was like, Oh yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. No, it's already <laughs> that's a terrible idea. Um, so, <laughs> but uh, I, it's like he caught you, and you're no, like, "Oh yeah, no, I, oh, I forgot I liter- about that." I literally told him it was a band, and then mm-hmm. I like, and I, I don't know. I'm just like very lazy with my theft. I guess I, you know, <laughs> he was like, "You can't do that." And I, I mean, the second he said it, I was like, "No, I, of course I can't do that." But like, I, I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm, I don't like. It's very hard for me to explain how like naive I am about certain things. Like it, it, it I, I see them happen. Like once I'm, something's explained to me, I'm like, oh okay, I get that and I can understand it. But mm-hmm. you, like something like that, I was just like, no, it's funny that they, they, they called it that. I, oh no, no, okay, right, got it. And like I never steal jokes or things like that, but uh, I don't know. I don't know. Just reminds me of like Homer and the the uh, FBI agents, where he's like setting him up for the witness protection program. <laughs> it's like your name is Mister Thompson, so when I say hello, Mister Thompson, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> my name is Homer. Uh, <laughs> um, I think he's a- talking to you. Uh, <laughs> um, They're so good at like at doing the like you know the fade into the guy, and he's so like furiously tired <laughs> sleeves are rolled up his ties like loosen like it's awesome oh um but then I, this you were probably asking me more about the part the robot with the monkey head right i mean that was probably what was more oh, we're, still t- we're still talking about the song title yeah sure I, no i mean i don't know i don't know i just like <laughs> no well the, mon- the monkey you know the monkey is like the um evolutionary antecedent to human beings and the robot the human being is the evolutionary antecedent to the robot right so we're mm-hmm. we're trapped between the two right so they're gonna they're gonna take over the monkeys it's gonna be yeah planet of the apes the musical not the planet well, um those aren't monkeys those are apes he can talk <laughs> i can sing um I love the beat that this this opens up with. Like this goes so fast, and uh, it seems like you're singing over. Is it the apathy beat that we kind of talked about with uh, no, Windward, this, where it's a tough one to? No, this song is just slow enough. This 
this is at the top of how fast I will write songs anymore because this song mm-hmm. like burns like to play it live like it's easy to dance to it's easy to play but it's got that that fucking sugar you know or the rocket fuel in it that I want mm-hmm. um, this one I believe was written for the fat music for fat people comp this was fatulence Oh, yeah, Uncontrollable Fatulence. Yeah, mm-hmm. Fat Music for Fat People was, like, the first one when I was, like, 14. Uh, <laughs> I just call them all that, I guess. Uh, cause sure. Dumb. But, yeah, and also I wanted to put a long song title on this one so it would stand out on the back of the comp, you mm-hmm. know? I figured if the, if the name was long enough, then people would be like, I want to hear what that shit is. Yeah. You know? But I like I, this song a lot. I dig, I dig this song too. This may be my favorite song that barely ever gets played by the Lawrence Arms. Mm-hmm. Um, like it in terms of things that are easy to play. You know, there's sure. other songs that I maybe like more that are that was just like, well, we're not playing that. It, there's there's no payoff to it. You know, it's long, it's hard, and uh, nobody knows it. This is a song that's like short, easy to play. I really like it and people know it and it's easy to like get into it if you don't. So it's like, but there's only so many fucking minutes in the set, you know? So, but I, I like this song. I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. When you get to the fuck what we say, like that's such a big, uh, that's a big energy in there. That's a fun one to, to, for the room to wait for to jump in with you honestly this song kind of like reminds me of kind of like lifetime kid dynamite sort of stuff we've never really like talked about that uh subset of of pop punk is that is that on your radar not terribly Just in general i mean not a lot i know some of those guys a little bit i mean it would be disingenuous for me to say that i knew them any more than a little bit um mm-hmm Jason Shevchuk uh, was in None More Black, and we did a tour with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he kept to himself a lot. I mean, like, we talked, He, you know, but he he's just, like, he he keeps to himself a lot, you know? Mm-hmm. Nice nice guy. Um, uh, and then I know Dan from, uh, mostly from um, fucking... Paint It Black? Lima. Yeah, Paint It Black. So, uh, and just in general, like, you know, seeing each other at the fest and being like, I know who you are, like, at the, <laughs> you know, uh, right. I mean, like it, when you're both people that are like for better or for worse on punk news all the time, like in 2006 or <laughs> whatever, you know, sure. it's like, Oh, you're that yeah. other guy. That half uh-huh. those people fucking hate and half the people don't hate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So, yeah. so, uh, but, but no, that's not, that's not really my, and I got, I got nothing against them, but it's just like, that wasn't, that wasn't where I, that wasn't where that generation of shit held my attention or even like got it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's it's like that's East Coast while you're doing like the Broadway's slapstick thing. It's it seems like a pretty like contained 
thing that there's no internet yet. There's no like real way to connect it in the same way. Totally. We, you know, we took all like when I'm coming up, it's like all Midwest, like what our friends are doing, what we're creating ourselves, what's going on at Gilman street. That was Mm -hmm. it. Like I had such a blind spot to the entire East coast with the exception of like minor threat and bad brains. Um, a little bit of ale. Um, but that was later. Um, yeah, but yeah, for sure. Just like, I, you know, my, my things went West, but that's cool. People like those bands. And I, I, you know, I think that, I think that part in this song is actually like, I think it's funny cause the song is so short mm-hmm. and it's like fast and then it's got a chugging verse. And then it does this like part that I feel like should be in a much more like grand song. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like, you know, uh, so that's, kind of uh, that's the New Brunswick basement that you just described it perfectly. And then we go out with the minute and a half we're out. It's yeah, it's super funny. I've, I I didn't uh, necessarily think like, I don't know, maybe if I asked this like a couple of years ago, I would have been like, so were you like, th- like this was totally influenced by Lifetime, right? But it is like yeah. a, it makes sense that you weren't influenced by it at all but also it's around the same time that all that shit is happening too so yeah yeah well i mean it's like you know you like if you're a scientist in the field of say uh genealogy there's a really good chance that you're racing to publish your work before somebody else does because like in that sort of community it's like you get the credit in the medical journal for making this discovery even though there might be a guy in sweden doing the exact same thing mm-hmm. in punk rock uh, i think nobody really cares and <laughs> back then there was like no no sort of like um connective tissue or whatever but if you're like looking at the same um uh, field of study right and trying to mm-hmm. make work in it it makes a lot of sense that people um, of similar uh, levels of interest will create things that are reflective of one another at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and I'm not trying think, to say like, yeah, I mean, you could you could definitely trace this back to just being like different offshoots of Gilman. You know, it gets filtered through you, and then over there it gets filtered through all the Jersey shit. Yeah. Um, Overheated was recorded during the Apathy Sessions. feel like this song would have been swallowed up a little bit by Brickwall Views, but right here, it's perfect. Yeah, I think this song was just a little... T- On a record that was like long and somewhat meandering itself, mm-hmm. this was the longest, most meandering song, which is why it, it it's a good song. But it's just like in the context of what's going on around it, it uh, the, the the tarp we were standing under was already pretty full of rain. You know what I mean? Like if it absolutely like like what one more one more of these like big sort of like showpiece kind of mid tempo songs that. Doesn't uh, I? 
It doesn't totally pay off. Like, the way that, like, I don't, like, the way that all those songs don't totally pay off except for Brick Wall Views. Exactly. That's the one that, like, really pays off. The other ones do a version of payoffs that I think this song is on point with those, Mm -hmm. you know? But it doesn't have that, like, Brick Wall Views moment in it. And uh, so it, you know, just something, something had to give. And this one, I think, was just the longest. And I also think that Chris was the least attached to it of his songs. Yes. Yeah. Sort of category for this record. Yeah, that makes sense. It's it's kind of like if you think about um like Wes Anderson, you know, he makes pretty much the same movie, but only a few of them can be the Royal Tenenbaums, mm-hmm. you know, that level and I think that this one only if it's related to brick wall views is it going to come off as being such a lesser than but here when it's presented um like in between these tracks especially it's like damn like all of those moments of catharsis like feel so earned you're in there with Mm -hmm. it i mean it's hard to compare anything to brick wall views but i think that this does a lot more for itself distance from that yeah no I, i i agree with you um yeah, the song is the song is good on on its own merits. It there's a lot there's probably a lot of songs on Apathy that could stand to have ended up on a comp somewhere. Mm. Um, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I love the line though: six more drinks before I drown bottoms, bottoms up and spirits down." Because Chris doesn't have too many of those like lines that you're like raise your beer can with or your soda water and mm-hmm. like that's that's a little bit more your department and then when when chris is able to to drop one it's it's nice because it's like yeah hell yeah yeah man um yeah this is a it's, a it's a fun one although i challenge you to think of two examples of me talking about raising a glass i could say um I'm talking like I'm talking in the crowd. You're watching like the audience is is hitting is because I I I can only think of one example of me actually saying that. So I think me and Chris are tied, (laughs) uh, which is which is in uh, whatever that song is called, "Jump in the Shark." It's that's that's the only place where I think I actually extol mm, uh, the 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 virtues of drinking. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> Does anybody ever extol anything but the virtues of something? I, I don't think I've ever heard the word extol not followed by the virtues of. I, I love that Hannibal Burris joke about like, you ever hear about anybody just pillaging? No, no raping. <laughs> you can rape and pillage, but I don't hear about anybody who's just pillaging. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, rape is really implied when it comes to pillaging also. Like, like if somebody, if you're like, yeah, I pillaged this, you know, neighborhood. It's like, oh, so you're, I'm thinking you probably raped a few people. That's weird, but you, yeah, you don't, don't try to make, it, don't try to make it okay by just saying you pillaged. It doesn't go the other way though, right? You know, like yeah. if uh, if you say you raped somebody, I don't feel like you necessarily had to pillage them as well. So, <laughs> it's, it's, True. I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, necrotism, decanting, the insalubrious. Nice. Cyborg Midnight Part 7. Mm-hmm. Of course. Yes. 
We all remember yes. parts one through six. Now we're at uh, part seven. <clears throat> Adrian's Revenge. That's right. That's right. So, um, um, where does this one come from? Where does the song title come from? In a quick, I have to ask. Um, the okay, Necrotism the Candy the Salubrious is um, uh, I believe an album, or maybe a song. I think it's an album by Carcass, or maybe it's Napalm Death. It's oh, a, okay. it's de- uh, maybe it's Napalm Death. It's one. It's it's or Cannibal Corpse. It's one of those kinds of bands. I at mm-hmm. the time I would have been able to tell you exactly which one it was, but it's just been so long and uh, the, like sort of like the jokey like hyper death metal stuff like kind of blends together to me. Yeah. Now, um, but um, I saw that name and I was like, that's the funniest fucking thing I've ever seen. And you see, this is the thing. The, the, so much like Ted Dance, I'm like, I'm just going to take it. I'm just going to call it that, you know, like I, I, I like it too. And, uh, and then the cyborg midnight part seven, um, was sort of me riffing on like the idea of, uh, like the, what I would imagine the next Coheed and Cambria album would be. Next. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, there's a YouTube video that I've seen, I know that you know what I'm talking about, where someone's like, so you write concept albums, and Coheed and Cambria writes concept albums, what's the difference between you and Coheed and Cambria? And he's like, and you say, oh, the difference is obvious, they've never had sex before. And and the best part of that (laughs) is the, the comments... Which are just Coheed and Cambria has had way more sex than you, or like you know <laughs> nobody knows your band. Yeah, well, you know those things are all probably true, but I think probably it was being done for the bit. But uh, it, it, I got nothing against Coheed and Cambria. Uh, I, I don't really know too much about them, but I just thought it was so funny, like this, like sort of like space nerd band. It's like our. The whole thing is as much comic books as it is music, and I, I, I have a great admiration for that kind of like uh, wild diversification to do one um, sort of all-encompassing piece of art. You know what I mean? Like that's that's really mm-hmm. neat to me. that's really neat to me, um, and also like I was as a youth like a big sci-fi novel reader a big comic book collector mm-hmm. i i was telling you that me and nick used to make our own comic books and you know like i've read every like single novel by Piers anthony for example and that motherfucker's written a lot of goddamn novels uh and that's like a lot of fantasy stuff but it's also like sci-fi yeah. stuff i mean like i'm into that shit so it's like sort of from a place of affection when I say stuff like that. And it when I like write this Cyborg Midnight Part 7, you know, I just think it's I just think it sounds really funny. Um of course it's a little bit at their expense, but it I it's it's a thing from my own heart, you know. Like I'm Yeah, totally. I'm using them mm-hmm. to make fun of my own nerdy shit. Uh mm-hmm. when, when I said that they'd never had sex before, I don't remember that interview, but that sounds more like the kind of thing that you say because it's just 
comes to your mind at the moment and it's so funny that you can't not say it and then yeah. You know, you can't you can't put the shit back in the dog. You know what I mean? Like uh, <laughs> like it's like all right, that's out there now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I I back it. Um so this comes from Fats Rock Against Bush compilation number 2. We're going to dive into that comp and some of these others a little bit more over on Patreon. Patreon.com slash better sandwich. Uh, yeah. The what's crazy about the Rock Against Bush comp, which we'll get into there, is there are so many fucking people who contribute to it. But as far as your band for this comp, we've got a great long song title that stands out like oh, absolutely hundred percent on purpose. And but do you have like this is a political song in the way that like most of your songs are just your political uh, philosophies are just kind of there in the lyrics. They don't have to be about anything. I just think everybody gets where you're coming from. Were you trying to write anything like for the comp that was more to the title? Mm, no. Okay. Well, I wrote this song specifically for this comp. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to write a song that would like have a lot of punch and a lot of, uh, uh, instant recognizability um, on a comp with a lot of people that were like much more well-established artists. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted to have the song on the comp that was like, oh, who's this? Kind of, right? Totally. And and uh, I wanted it to be fast. I wanted it to be short. And I wanted it to have a long name. And, uh, you know, sat down to write this song. I, um, But... I firmly believe that you cannot go into making art with an agenda at all. Um, you, mm. The only thing you can do is exist in your moment. And, like, if I sit down right now to write a song about how I fucking hate Donald Trump and, you know, I, I think Stephen Miller should be fucking in the Hague, Right. For example, mm-hmm. it's going to sound like this heavy-handed fucking thing where it's like, Stephen Miller should be in the hay, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, and uh, like, it, it's just, it's just really obvious. However, I could sit around and think about that and talk about that all day and then just sit down and write words and that shit will bleed through because it's coming out of my brain and what's going on mm-hmm. with me. Maybe it'll be more metaphorical. Like when I was writing my, I mean, I still write my blog, but when I was writing it before people used to like be like, oh, what's the, what advice would you give to somebody trying to start like writing a blog? And I would always say, don't try to be funny. If you're funny, if you're funny already, just write. And the shit will be funny. Mm-hmm. But the second you like walka walka walka, you know, like it it's tired yeah. and it's like it's sweaty. You know, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. And and uh it's sort of the same way I feel about lyrics. Actually I learned it <laughs> the other way. So uh you know, the I realized ways. yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. I realized I le- realized that bringing an agenda into making a piece of art is a is a bad idea. And mm-hmm. what you can do is like think really hard about 
things you care about and make art and it will shine through. Totally. I feel that coming off of, uh, off of this song a lot. There's just um, a real, like, there's a lot of space that's just, like, you're taking in, like, around you and your surroundings. There's just a lot of, like, abandonment. There's a lot of, like, bullshit that is not really being tended to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this one, there's a lot of decay and, like, you know... Foiled best intentions and uh, watching the world kind of die as you die. And like, even like the Bob Dylan reference in the chorus is like instantly negated, you know, like, mm. uh, like it, it's just like the, what the thing that made us, you know, me, the blockbuster, Bob Dylan, fucking all like the hours of my youth, it's just all gone, you know, like, and, mm-hmm. and it's, it's like, it, it, you can do whatever you, you can fucking cry all you want, but eh, the time goes one direction, man, you know, and yeah. that's, that's it. So, uh, yeah, but I, th- I think this one turned out really surprisingly well. Um, always takes me by surprise like how good this song is you know it it it's kind of it's one of those things that happens i think with really stacked releases especially comps too where it's just like the every track is fucking so good and then another one starts and it's like oh maybe this is like where it starts to dip a little bit and then no this is fucking this is a great piece of work here i think it's a cool um it's a another one of those connective pieces between greatest story and o calcutta because i think that what you do really well on o calcutta you know you have this like break in this song with the acoustic guitar when it comes mm-hmm. back in by o calcutta you figure out how to make that shit come back in like it's the heat of a thousand suns and this one it's like it's good. It's forceful. Um, you can see what happens moving forward with that concept. Yeah. Um, well, that's cool to hear. Uh, the this, I think this song is. First of all, this is one that I play acoustic a lot, and it's like I think just as cool acoustic as it is in this format, mm-hmm. um, which to me is like an indication of like me lucking out and getting a good song out of myself on the right day, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and also, um, I just think it's a better song than I was expecting it to be. Like when I handed it to Mike and it's, I guess we'll talk about the, the comp, uh, uh, on the Patreon, but there's, there's a good bit about when I gave the song to Mike. Uh, um, I don't. I don't know if now is the time. Probably. Say, well, say, we got we got some work the, to do here. Save it for <laughs> save the it champagne for... room. You know. <laughs> All right. I yeah. would like to pause here for a second because we do have, as most um, collections tend to, we get some good blast from the past photographs, and I have to say, 
the Lawrence Arms in the year 2000 were looking pretty f- <laughs> funny here. The bleach hair. We got some like big old like Liberty looking spikes on Chris Neil with some sideburns. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, <laughs> the, what's the? I, I think that I could best. If you ever, if you ever doubted for a second the veracity of my claims that we just started this for fun and we really weren't trying to impress anyone, look no further than our haircuts <laughs> at the time. Uh, <laughs> we were, de- I mean, we were definitely all about kind of having a hilarious time, and you know, um, I think it would be kind of rewriting history to say like we knew we looked totally hilarious and like we were like totally like dressed as clowns on purpose i mean it was kind of a different time and i think we really all did kind of not give much of a shit about that kind of thing and i mean yeah. we, and we definitely dressed like in like trash clothes <laughs> like, you know like and and we would do a lot of things where like uh the joke would be like on us, you know what I like, like on purpose, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like I remember one time Chris had no Halloween costume. So we found this like Santa costume that was like five sizes too small. And Chris was like a bigger dude at the time. And, uh, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, and he, it just looked so perverse, but we all couldn't stop laughing. I mean, it, it you know, like th- those kind of, yeah, those kinds of, uh, things. So we definitely had a lot of fun with, just like not really caring about too much, but I th- I think that the best like timestamp that can be put on to these is the couple of pictures of you giving the finger in like the most um, non ironic way. This is this is the year nineteen ninety nine and giving the finger with your thumb out and <laughs> it's. Chris, in some of these pictures, just looks like the dude that your friend is college roommates with, who just like doesn't really say much. He just smokes a lot of weed and like maybe plays on his computer until three o'clock every morning and never goes to class. Um, there was like a, a time when Chris could probably be described that way. Uh, um, actually, I mean. Chris has always been a highly motivated guy and stuff like that, but I think there was a time like back, you know, I'm we're talking like 20 years ago here, but yeah, Chris would like smoke a lot of weed and play a lot of video games. And he was my roommate, and I mean, we, we talked, <laughs> you know, we we talked a lot, but I wouldn't be surprised if you know somebody came over and was like, "Your roommate's really quiet." I mean, not that <laughs> not that either of us had a single friend at that time that didn't know the other one just right. as well, you know. I mean, we came in like a two pack uh, at the time, so. <laughs> There was no, like, guy coming over and me being like, this is my friend Chris. They'd be like, yeah, I, I've never seen the two of you not together. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, we enter into the Shady View Terrace split, and I think that this transition's really nice. I, you know, still using the trio self-titled comparison, the My Friend Peter into Snake Oil Tanker is... A little messy. I think that this one gaps that bridge, or bridges that gap really nicely between necrotism and a boring story. I think a lot of it has to do with that bass intro starting out. Well, that bass intro is really like sort of, um, we talked, like when we talked about the Broadways and we were talking about like what was going on, 
like in the nineties and how there was like heavy bands doing kind of like really heavy, like shoegazy stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and just like creating these long sort of like droning parts. That, I mean, not a lot goes on here in this intro, you know, it's it, like, I guess it's, it's just such a product of the time really. Um, mm-hmm. and it's, and it's actually like kind of like even more of like a throwback to like a couple of years before, you know? Um, sure. But also, I mean, this was just one of those things I started playing, and like I liked, I liked the way it felt to play it, so mm-hmm. I put it into put it into the song. But yeah, it's a, it's definitely got that like '90s Fireside Bull kind of vibe to at the begin that just that beginning part at least. Yeah, definitely. After that, Quince and Tuple money, Quince and Tuple your money anecdote. I kind of want to hear you play those chords lower at a point. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. You mentioned that in the uh, CD liner notes that this song was based on a, quote, real live freak out. Do you mind if I ask you about that? Yeah, I can't remember all of it, but I was like, in college, um, I was like having like some real, I think at the time, I was like really like heartbroken and. I didn't know what I was doing, and I like, mm-hmm. like was just like, all of a sudden like walking down the street, and I didn't remember like how I got there, and it wasn't like the middle of the night or anything, or and it, like I clearly had just come from my apartment, which was right across the way, but mm-hmm. like I was just like all of a sudden like clicked into like my consciousness, I was like, what am I doing out here? Yeah, and I went down, and like the van, my van at the time, uh, was uh, was the Lawrence Arms van, but it was like my car, you know what I mean, like. Uh, mm-hmm. And I like walked up to it, and it had been booted because it had too many tickets on it. And oh, and uh, I don't know, it just kind of all like, <laughs> went crazy. And I, it's, it's like a really kind of isolated memory. And then like I don't remember what kind of happened. I kind of feel like I was yelling in the street for a while, and uh, you know, I think I went and got really really drunk to like kind of <laughs> calm down and forget about it. <laughs> Do something with it, yeah. And um, but yeah, I mean. Like, I don't have a lot of, like, episodes like that. I mean, really none. But that one was, uh, yeah, I'd I call it a freak out. It wasn't like, mm-hmm. it, you know, it wasn't like a, like, real, like, breakdown or permanent damage or anything. It was just like, I think I just got overwhelmed and stressed. I mean, I was, like, my senior year of college also. Mm-hmm. So, there's a lot of, a lot of mitigating factors going into some, you know, making making me lose my mind a little bit but just for a second yeah yeah sure i i like the um the lyrics on this because i think that they're really abstract for this period of your writing this one's got a lot of that like really got a lot of that wordplay sort of situation going on in it i mean there's a lot happening there in terms of like sort of like internal syllable syllabic rhymes and stuff like that that i i like um you know and yeah, there's like some like kind of like gnarly imagery. I think it's, I don't know. I, I vacillate back and forth on whether I feel like this song is kind of like "woe is me" or whether it's just like a little more pragmatic in terms of like assessing a bad situation. And you know, I obviously can't tell. So I, you know, sometimes I think, sometimes I'm like, "Oh, poor you! What a sad song about pretty much fucking nothing." And then <laughs> other times, you know, but this one, 
This one's pretty, like, this one's become a pretty obscure song in our catalog, so there's probably a reason for that. Yeah, I was going to say, um, I don't think that I've seen you play it. Do you, does it, is it in the set often or ever at this point? War on Christmas. It'll come out. Sure. Um, yeah. That's about it. I always like these lyrics a lot, because, yeah, I, I, I think knowing what they're about, you can sense the kind of woe is me that you're talking about but i think when there's not um when there's not a specific thing that you're referring to it does have a there are a lot of nice poetics going on i do like a lot of those um internal rhymes that you're talking about and i think the imagery is it's cool it's like um you're clearly feeling something but since it's so nondescript i think that you're Mm -hmm. the listener has a lot of uh gets a lot of freedom to take it and make it what they want right well yeah i mean that's sort of hopefully that's the idea right like um that's what makes songs cool it's like when you know i think we talked about uh why the first star wars meeting episode four a new hope Mm -hmm. is my favorite one because there's so much like it just gives you like little clues of things and then it let you build it in your mind. And it's like so much cooler when, you know, Obi-Wan just like mentions the Clone Wars and you're like, what are the fucking Clone They're not even going to come back and talk about the Clone Wars? You know, like, and then like, you know, a few years later you find out it's like the dumbest fucking, it's like a, about a tariff disagreement and somebody mm-hmm. who, who had a hard on for one guy. Uh, you know, it's like, oh, okay. But, you know, like in your mind, it's like that that could be anything and it's, uh, you know, it's really cheesy to use phrase. Like, it's a cheesy sounding phrase, and it's usually used by people that I think are like kind of pretentious or whatever. But the theater of the mind is like st- that's where the best art occurs. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And if you, uh, if, if you as an artist can really like set up shop in the theater of the mind for your viewers or listeners or whatever, uh, then that's good work, I think. Totally. And I think that I think that punk music is is definitely a much more uh straightforward type thing. So whenever you get moments of of abstraction, uh if they work then it's cool because it doesn't happen as often. Faintly Falling Ashes, I like this recording uh, and doing it pretty soon after Ghost Stories. So why why electrify it then? Um, I think... Well, I remember... Here's the thing. I It's very hard for me. Chris and Neil wrote and recorded the first one without me. And I remember hearing it and being like, I fucking love this. And Chris has, like, kind of rolled his eyes at this song for a long time in recent history. Mm-hmm. So it's really and, – and, I mean, he's not, like – the last thing I want to paint is a picture of him being, like, shitty about it or anything. He's just, like – he kind of, it's like kind of like a self-depreciating chuckle. It's like, oh, we're playing that. I'm like, dude, it's literally – the Christmas shows. We have to play this song about Christmas, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, I know. You know, I mean, it's like, it's, he's not a dick about it or anything, but it's been so long that he's just like casually worn this like, 
out of style albatross like in his mind around his neck that I can't remember um I can't remember the point in which like when this happened to re-record it I think obviously we must have all been like this is a great idea mm-hmm. but it, it's been so long since then that it's really hard for me to think of Chris being like yeah totally let's re-record that song um just just because he's so hilarious, uh, right, right, you know, and and but I think he knows it's still a good song, like even to this day. So I'm sure it was just a thing where we were all like, "Dude, that's a really great." That sounds a little too good to just be a throwaway acoustic song, like as a hidden, like a hidden track. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? You know what I mean? Like, so, uh, yeah. I mean, this re-recording is hilarious. For one, for one thing, I love this song. Um, I I still think it's terrific. Mm-hmm. Um, to this day it's really fun to play it's always like makes me laugh to play it's like it i enjoy it so much and also the chord progression is bizarrely convoluted for like no reason i think i think you could have the same <laughs> like and, and i think i i really don't think i'm talking out of school when i say this i know that when we whenever we rehearse it for we're on christmas or something chris is like <laughs> you know this is like part of his whole bit with this where he's just like yeah, what was I? What was I thinking when I did this? What, what, what? Like, I think you could just probably play like just three the exact same chords like three times, and and it would be the same. But instead, it's just like long meandering, never mm-hmm. repeating, um, sort of like uh, like cryptex of like these four chords instead. And it's it's a uh, and so sort of play it like cracks me up, and I really I really like it, and also the. <laughs> The instrumental breakdown in this recording uh-huh. has got to be one of the most, like, seriously laugh out loud, hilarious p- pieces of music of all time. <laughs> oh, and you're like, boom, boom, boom. No, 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 no. Um, that's just the very end. But no, I'm talking about, like, it's like the. Da-da-ding, ding. Oh, oh, yeah. Ding, ding. <laughs> and, and I'm like, do, do, be, do, 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 be, do, do, be, do, 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 do. I mean, it's so goofy. And, and like, I can only say for myself with assurance, but I think I speak for all of us. Definitely, when I say that was the best we could do. <laughs> <laughs> like, like that, that is, that was us, like, really trying as hard as we could to do something, like, interesting and it's so funny. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. No, when you put it in those terms, it does, it does uh, make a lot of sense. It's so weird. Oh. Um, yeah, but I I have to, I have to just based on the discussion that we've had with this record so far, that that ending little doo-doo that you throw in there yeah. is you did it once everybody laughed and you said okay it's in it's in the song now yeah <laughs> yeah i mean well yeah w- i think that's just a, that's just a manner of like the evolution of everything like with with our band like i was talking about you know earlier um how we do the like there's that like sort of like on stage uh telekinesis or whatever where all of a sudden you like you know we'll all stop and there's never been a stop there before or whatever 
And uh, I think, you know, Tyler May and Co. talks about, I don't remember what he calls it, band telepathy, stage telepathy, something like that, um, mm-hmm. in his podcast, which uh, um, I really like. I mean, I don't know. We're probably not supposed to talk about other people's podcasts. Is that bad for Oh, no. We got We support the scene. Cool. Okay, good. Yeah. Punk podcasting. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he does a podcast called Cocaine and Rhinestones. It's a really good history of 20th century country music. And I... Mm. And I, I I love it a lot. It's really really good. Um, and uh, uh, if that kind of topic interests you at all, you should check it out. And even if it doesn't, the stories are so great. I mean, the podcast is called Cocaine and Rhinestones. So already right there, he's done a better job at art than most people ever will. I mean, that's like the greatest <laughs> name for a podcast I've ever heard. Um, but uh, he's Tyler. Uh, he's Tyler Marinko. He's uh, David Allen Coe's son. But he played in mm. he played in his band for a long time, and so he's got a lot of like touring experience and stuff. So he talks about like the band telepathy. Or, I can't remember what his words are. That those might be them. But when I heard it, I, he you know in the, in his podcast, he's like anybody out there that's ever been in a band that's like done a lot of touring knows exactly what I'm talking about. And I was like, yes, I do. I know exactly what you're talking about. You know, it's like mm-hmm. and like you see interviews with like Fugazi. Where they talk about how, like, and I mean, Fugazi is obviously, like, first of all, like, t- defies all logic, like, Yo. Uh, mm-hmm. like, c- 360 degrees around, you know? So, like, mm-hmm. uh, and I mean that mostly in a positive way, by the way. So, just, like, I'm not talking shit on Fugazi. I was just listening to Fugazi last night for hours and hours, but uh, where they'll talk about, like, how they've never made a set list. And, you know, even when they're up to, like... And they yeah. still keep, like, something like 220 of their songs in po- potential rotation or something. Mm-hmm. You know, some shit like that. I mean, maybe that, that's a lot of songs. I don't know if they even have that many. But, uh, you know, some huge amount. And the, the and they never call them out. They just, like... They just know. And that sounds crazy. But I'm also, like... I can totally see how... That yeah. could get honed like that, especially if you're a bunch of complete weirdos like the guys at Fugazi, and they they <laughs> are so so singularly weird and everything. I um, and I this is totally uh, this is the taste of what you'll get on the Patreon when you hear the stories of uh, that are unrelated to the record. So I'm just gonna and this is just a really quick anecdote, but you get you get gems like this. I always thought that Gee. Um, from Fugazi, he's the 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 singer that's not Ian, and he plays guitar um, uh, later on all the time, and in the beginning, just every once in a while. Um, and uh, he's the guy that goes, "We must." Like he kind of got like a like uh, if like if Gollum and Bob Dylan had a son, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and, and it keeps us alive. Yeah. I mean, I could just sit here and do Gee Pachoto fucking impersonations all day, but uh, he was always like, I think it's funny because like you think of Fugazi as this art band, and then like, but really, it's like, and like Ian is this like 
artist, but really he's like, bah, 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 bah. you know, like, like his voice is so, <laughs> it's like so guttural. And it's like, and it's awesome. I'm not saying a bad thing about it, but this is part of like where they defy every expectation. He's mm-hmm. just like, bah, 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 bah. it sounds amazing, you know, and then he's got this other guy that's like, hey, yeah, you know, like that, that, that dude. Um, and, um, I always felt like he was like, I'm like, that guy's like this like skinny, uh, weird. Yeah. Like kind of in the shadows, like poet, weirdo, you know, sensitive art mm-hmm. guy. That's like now in this punk band with this, like more like just like guttural dude. And that the combination is so cool. Then I see that instrument movie and it goes to Gee, and he's just like huge fucking Bert from Bert and Ernie monobrow that just goes straight across and he's just like yeah you know it always to me it was like if uh, I'm gonna do this punk rock thing it's gotta be like a life thing I'm like that's your fucking speaking voice <laughs> Jesus Christ <laughs> holy shit I had you all wrong I mean which is not to say that like your eyebrows or your speaking voice have anything to do with rock and roll or or any any judgment of him as a guy or anything but it like it was just such a harsh difference from everything I imagined in my brain. I was so like, funny. you gotta be kidding. Yeah, so, you know, when you and me are up there, like, uh, sometimes we just know. <laughs> I'm just like, holy shit. Anyway, um, it sounds like he's like, you asked me to do a favor for him, and you know, <laughs> it is what it is. No, I mean, he was, ta- he was he was saying some, like, fairly eloquent things. It was just, like, the actual timbre of his voice. And, like, sort of his no-nonsense thing was, mm-hmm. it was definitely a surprise. But anyway, yeah, that that was my big psychic contribution, uh, was going, ba-dow! At the end of Faintly Falling Ashes. So, yeah, you know. So I understand. I understand if you in there 200 times. Oh, a toast. But you didn't expect that to come together so cleanly, huh, Tim? Oh, no, not at all. <laughs> I mean, you never know. You never know. It's just you, you toss you toss them up in the air, and, and sometimes they get sometimes they get dunked right away. Sometimes they bounce off somebody's head, and then they get dunked. That's, oh, you've been watching The Last Dance, huh? Uh... I have. <laughs> <laughs> I, got a, I got a great Matt Allison comparison coming up on patreon patreon.com slash better sandwich uh a toast you still play this one a lot yeah uh this is from this era um in fact i would say from this era back with the exception of 106 south this is the most requested old song that we have yeah um and I would, I would uh, I'm, I'm really literally talking about this split back, but even if you include the, uh, the present day memory split, which actually came out chronologically after this, this is still the case just because I think everybody knows we're going to play hundred resolutions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure, I, sure. I, I feel like that's not one you waste your time yelling out. Like nobody, you know, mm-hmm. nobody goes yeah. to the fucking uh survivor show and yells out eye of the tiger yeah <laughs> right, like, right. <laughs> i mean or it's the only thing they're yelling um that's but, true 
Yeah. But yeah, so the song, we still play it. Um, this one actually will still like play in like regular sets. Um, it, this one and uh, Quince and Tuple kind of occupy kind of similar pl- like place, like where they would go in the set list, you know? Mm-hmm. So if you hear one, you're probably not going to hear the other. Um, and we usually try to defer to Quince and Tuple. Um, or I, I mean, I do when I make the set list just because I feel like more people know it and it's kind of like a good time song that, I mean, I guess these both are kind of like that, but, um, but if somebody requests this, I'll always switch it out. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. For sure. And I only say I, because I write the set list. I'm not trying to sound like I make unilateral decisions without my cohorts. We are, we are a unit of, we are a three person unit of one. Um, it feels like there's a very uh real you who inspired the song. Um, yeah, this is sort of written about like my uh ex girlfriend who was kind of the reason that I had that like freak out. So mm-hmm. She she was really appearing a lot on this uh, little EP, I guess. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, um, they, you know th- this one is. This is kind of like a real like M. Night Shyamalan Jr. kind of fucking song where like the whole song is like, I'll talk shit about this person. It's just a loser. And then at the end, it's like, that person is me. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like, I mean, and to explain it like that makes it sound really, really dorky. And I hope that I don't think the song comes across as like really like that dorky contrived. But the there is like a twist ending to it or whatever. And uh yeah, I mean, explaining it's really <laughs> nerdy, but um, I love I like the energy of it a lot. Like you got some good you got some good ones in here, like a martini balanced on a wiffle ball bat. You got to write something like that and just kind of like dust off your shoulders a little bit. Like, yeah, that's a that's a good line. Yeah, I mean, like I like that entire, um, like that entire verse. I mean, like. Mm-hmm. I think that's like one of like my strongest batting averages line for line like anywhere like it's just like you tell me that my problem is thinking I can chase it away with a problem like drinking I really mm-hmm. like that was the one where I was like woo buddy <laughs> you know <laughs> and then it was like based on like how like much I was felt like I captured what I was trying to say with that line and I thought that the sort of like just the more like uh phonetic elements of it were cool too and mm-hmm. it just like and then i was just like sort of like had you know nothing motivates like success right so then the next few lines like you know you don't want to get old prom the uh, party on the line grave on hold like a drunk operator eh, i mean that's cool game of roulette martini balance on a wiffle ball band it's like i mean it's kind of like got like a almost like not like proper hip-hop but like Paleozoic Florida Georgia line kind of hiccup like games to it. <laughs> Not that I, I said I said last week that you that you dropped uh, that you dropped some bars on the Wandering Birds record and you were like I don't I don't even know if I could drop a bar. It's like well go, go back here. Yeah, well, this, could... this this stuff is a little bit like blippity boo, you know, like it. It's got a, it's got a good it's got a good like skip and cadence to it and 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like I like I like this song. I think it's I think it's a. Uh... I think it's pretty cool, and I, I think there's this Honor System song, Honor System being the other band that came out of the Broadways, um, put out an excellent record called Single File, and mm-hmm. at first, Tim McGrath, who's now the singer of Rise Against, was in that band, and he was Neil's roommate, and when it got to the section here in A Toast, where it's just seven hits, which is kind of weird, you know? It's yeah, like I love that, seven hits. Uh-huh. And then it goes into the guitar solo. Um, uh, Neil's like, yeah, Tim's band, the honor system just does this thing where they do 13 hits and then it just goes out. And I know it's, so that's in the song facelift, I believe. Uh-huh. Um, but there, there you go. It's like the honor. Like I was like, I was like, Oh man, seven hits. This is going to be great. And then Neil's like, Oh yeah. They, this other band and my friends in does something way cooler. Uh, <laughs> And it's true. It is cooler. Um, I could talk about that guitar solo um, over uh, at the Patreon um, because there's a, I mean, it's a story I've told a lot, but uh, it's It's an oldie but a goodie. I know the, I know the one, I know the one and it is a good one. Uh, Yeah. I think like the, uh, the end of this too, you know, this is the only way to die. That has kind of that energy that we were talking about with lazy boy. Like saying living is a lot like dying. Yeah. I think that the, this is all like nihilistic, but also like very, uh, you know, assured and encouraging. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, uh, I've always associated the line before it with it too. So it's like, believe the lies that you tell yourself. This is the only way to die. Mm-hmm. Like, so it's like, you're celebrating like this, like you have no choice, but you do have a choice, you know, is like sort of like the broader thing. And, uh, so, I think no matter which way you take it, the sentiment is um, supposed to be uplifting, even if it is uplifting in a way that's, you know, maybe a bit nihilistic or um, unhealthy, I guess. Uh, but if you if you want to hear this is the only way to die as like a confirmation of your shitty lifestyle, you can hear it that way. If you want to hear the the overarching line as like, you know, you can believe this, but it's a lie. This is not the only way to get through this life. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And mm-hmm. uh, either way, I think, I think I vacillate between feeling both of those things. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, totally. Uh, it's just like human condition shit, man. Right. But uh, I don't know. Also, I'm not trying to figure it all out. And if you're looking to me as like any sort of beacon in the night to put your life back on track, I would seriously recommend. Uh, it would be very irresponsible of me not to say you should probably talk to the professional. And I am not really accredited in anything. So, uh, just, but you were 20 years ago when you that, wrote this thing. It's, that, a, it's it's a, it's a shame that you were disbarred. Yeah, I, I was. I was, uh, I was Disbarred, sued for malpractice. Uh, Nebraska, obviously, like, this is a personal one for Chris, so I won't ask you to speculate, but what does it do for you? What do you think about when you hear this song? Well, I don't think Chris has been too secretive about this. First of all, the song is not really... Uh, 
it's not like a hidden meeting song. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, right. you know, right. it's, it's definitely like really all cards on the table. I think, I don't think anybody would listen to this and be like, I wonder what this is about. Uh, yeah, know, but I, uh, but I think that there's, uh, at least an inclination to say like, so who exactly is Mike? What right. was Mike going through? Okay. Exact, well, I, I, can, you know. I, can t- I can tell you this much. Mike mm-hmm. is a, I didn't even come for this, but okay. Yeah. yeah Mike is a, I've met Mike before. He's a cousin of Chris's that Chris doesn't really see. And um, they are very different types of people. Like Mike comes from Nebraska, um, hence the, the title. And um, mm. and I think he he had a lot of, I mean, it's, it's just like all the songs. So I, I don't really feel like I'm talking out of school, but he... He was really lost and struggling for a while. I have no idea what's going on with him these days. I don't know that Chris does either. I mean, it's a mm. part of his family that I don't think he sees very often or is in too much contact with. I Sure. Um, I would hold off on – I will hold off on speculating any more than that about it. But I've heard Chris say that this is about his cousin in interviews. So I don't feel like I'm uh, saying anything that he hasn't put out there himself already. Um this song is another one like a toast that is one of the most requested songs, but we almost never play this. We play this only at war on Christmas and we hadn't played it until last year's war on Christmas in probably 15 years. Um, it is hard for Chris to sing. I think Chris, I don't get the feeling he doesn't like this song. I get the feeling that he would rather play something else. Mm hmm. Um, and it is also, when I was talking about like the sort of labyrinthine Byzantine inner workings of faintly falling ashes, that's nothing compared to this song. Believe that. This song is one of the most, um, well, I just used all the words I would use right there. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I, I, unlike unlike my syntax, this song never repeats itself, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, mm-hmm. and and it's like, and it is crazy. This is another one that makes me crack up, and it makes us, all of us crack up to play because it's just so all over the place, and it's one that's like drilled into our heads pretty much. So, uh, you know, whatever. But it's it's funny that it's just so like. And then here's this part, which is actually contains six different parts that are almost identical. And then we move on to this part, mm-hmm. which is totally different. And it's got these three parts that each go half a time. You know, like, <laughs> like it's just so weird. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, I think, you know, this one obviously speaks to a lot of people. I think it's, um, you know, like I said, it, it's like stark contrast to sort of my like super uh myopic um song about being lost that's the opening track on this mm-hmm. this is a um second person narrative or first person to second person i don't i mean uh, yeah I mean, it's addressed to somebody it, else yeah and uh that's extremely laid bare Mm -hmm. you know and uh i think that resonates with a lot of people 
Um, and that's probably speaks to, I, I, I'd say that's why the song is pretty enduring is because you can kind of get it and it kind of is heavy, but, and deep, but it's all like right there at the top. You, you don't need to like, you know, dig in to figure out what he's talking about. It's like, Oh, I get this. Please don't hate yourself. I'm okay. There you go. I know what that means. <laughs> you know? Yeah, Totally. I think that, like, you know, the thing that we talk about with Chris and having a lot of songs about his own self-confidence, it, it's kind of like this song really falls in line with that, but being addressed to somebody else, he can say it with a lot more earnestness than he could in just addressing himself. So it's, you know, I he's got a note in the CD liner notes about how sometimes the best advice is your own. And I see that a lot in here too, where this is, this is the type of song that Chris is really good at singing because he's very good at like speaking to himself directly. And in doing this one where it's for somebody else, he can, he can, uh, nix like all of the vagueness of, of detail and stuff like that. Cause he's not, sure. he's not putting himself out there in that way. He's, he's doing it on behalf of somebody else. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, I mean, he's a, and you know, I mean, like everything, you know, it's like, you, you're never totally talking about someone else, right. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, and I, I say that as um, a general blanket statement, not out of even anything that I'm like, well, I secretly think that, you know, this about this song, it's like, you don't get to like, it's like what actually when we were talking about, uh, um, the Dance of the Doomed last week on the I'd Rather Die Than Live Forever episode, and I was talking about how the guy had written in and was like, "Man, you you know you really nailed this uh, thing on addiction, mm-hmm. you know." And I was like, on one hand, I was like, "Oh, that's great." And on the other hand, I was like, "Oh, is that do I know like you know do I know this subject too well?" Like you know, like I mean, yeah, you can't you can't sing about. Um, I don't think you can resonate with somebody about something you have no idea about. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. You know, so it's like, so it's like, uh, but yeah, I think this was great. The this features one of the most hilarious bass lines that I've ever played in anything. Um, and at the time, I was like, yeah, I've written like a proper like riffy bass line, and it is looking back on it so ridiculous. I mean, especially in the context of this somber song, it's at the very end. Mm-hmm. And it's like, boom, doom, 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 It's like, what are you, what are you doing? Like, okay. Reel it back a little bit, big guy. <laughs> well, it, <laughs> you know, it would like, it was just like all of a sudden, I I needed like Jeff Goldblum to come in and be like, you're so preoccupied with if you could do it, you've never stopped to wonder if you should. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I feel that way sometimes uh, on this podcast with you, where it's just like, hey, chill out, dude. The star of the show is is on the computer screen. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I love that part though because it, it's 
like you get into that palm muted section and it seems like oh they're gonna stretch this one and then it just like stops (laughs) yeah that also is like um really like a 90s thing like we do that live Mm -hmm. and i didn't even remember we did this and then but then it was like the muscle memory came back to me when we started doing it for these more christmas shows It'll be like, doom, 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 and then there's that pause before it goes into the like the heavy downstrokes, mm-hmm. chugs or whatever, and and then we all go one, two, like not into the microphone, you know, and it's kind of like it's really got that like, like sort of like when Youth Crew was moving into emo, sure, yeah, you, you know, kind of kind of vibe mm-hmm. to it, which sort of like those breakdowns are like that stuff, yeah, you know, it's like so. There's like an antecedent there of stuff that we didn't really particularly That's know a lot kind about. Kind of the lifetime lot, thing, yeah. Yeah, we didn't really know a lot about that, but it was like, this is an aspect of this that uh, is going to seep into our music, whether we want it to or not, you know? Totally. So, um, and actually, that one two thing, as much as it sounds like cheese dicky to talk about it here, it's like, I feel like it's pretty electric on stage. Um, if the fucking you know, crowd's there for it. Yeah, yeah, dude. 100%. So, I don't know. You know, it's like it's like explaining a joke. You, it that's always funnier. <laughs> it's always funnier to explain a joke than to just tell it and have someone get it. Dude, uh, I tell my girlfriend that all the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and uh and um in case you guys were wondering, that was that that was a joke. I, it's really actually not that funny to explain a joke, um, and so is my it, joke. It, it, it makes it it makes it less funny. Um, Don't you do know, that. Yeah, no, it's not it's not funny to do. But like sometimes, if you could do it in like a super postmodernist, like structuralist, self aware way, maybe you could try to like crank it through and make it even funnier than the joke itself. But who knows? Uh, <laughs> um, and it's the same thing for like visceral live parts. You know, talking about him is going to sound stupid all the time. Uh, well, but in the moment, you know, we're, we're like, okay, there's a reason that everybody makes fun of Newfound Glory for all jumping at the same time. And mm-hmm. there's a reason that Newfound Glory still all jumps at the same time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep. Because it's easy to say that and have it sound stupid as hell. And then when you're in the crowd watching and they all do it, everyone's like, damn. <laughs> you know? And it's like, I don't know. I, fuck how cool you are. <laughs> it's kind of cool. I mean, it, it, it's there for a reason. You know? And uh, I'm personally of the belief that anybody over the age of 25 that jumps on stage is like doing a thing, uh, you know, like, uh, mm-hmm. like, uh, it's, I've, I've always said jumping like at a, after a certain age is like the comb over of rock and roll. Um, <laughs> but actually I think that more for the joke, uh, like, I think that's just funnier to say, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't give a shit if you jump on stage. I mean, I'm literally here defending Newfound Glory. Those guys are my age, and they're jumping all at the same time. So um, They're all wearing dickies. Yeah, except for one guy. Well, no, that guy's probably wearing dickies in jail. Um, <laughs> yeah. Man, that, that was just like, whoa, fuck. Uh, another boring story. It's funny that we started talking about like the live thing, because when I'm listening to this song, I'm like, 
this is a gr- this is going to be a good song for Fireside Bowl. Like if the crowd is on your side, like especially the end part where you're all going wild, Chris is just going crazy with the octaves. Like you get really, really noisy at the end of this yeah. song. I think this is a the last one from Ghost Stories. Definitely. And this are the two times that I think that we went in on this like sort of like heavy soundscape thing and it worked out for us. Mm-hmm. I think these those are like the two times where I'm like, oh, this is appropriate for this song. It holds up now. It doesn't sound like a dated thing. I mean, it, it sounds like it comes from a time, mm-hmm. but but like, but you can understand the decision making that goes in, into it a little more than I think some of the other times we've tried to do this. Um, and I, and this part, this is one of the, uh, instrumental parts that actually keeps, uh, our audience engaged. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like, it's pretty easy to like kind of zone on some of that stuff, but especially because it's not like slash on like a tiny, you know, simulacrum of the Eiffel Tower uh-huh. like, you know, it doesn't fire. come up from the middle of the stage yeah um, you know and but yeah the the end of this song uh, is nice and heavy and I think it all flows together really well and then when it calms down into those bass chords I really I I'm, I'm really happy with how this one turned out actually this is my favorite of mine on this EP. Yeah, I um, it it probably hit me harder in the past week than it ever had before. Not that I'd ever had any negative feeling towards it. I think that just the the emotion of all of it just for for the first time just kind of reached out and just hit me right away. Like I knew exactly where this song was at, maybe for the first time. And yeah, I mean, like this track is it's really somber. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was definitely about the apartment that we lived in after we moved out of the Lawrence Arms building. And I just remember being like, looking around and being like, man, we live in fucking squalor. And I don't have mm-hmm. the energy nor the desire to do anything about it. <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. And... I mean, it's kind of funny now, and I think there was like a romance built into that attitude that Mm -hmm. um, only with the benefit of a lot of distance I can, like, admit out loud. Uh, You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. But there was also a lot of reality to it where it was just like, oh, this is fucking disgusting. This is your your life? Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> let me let me just like put my put my bed like in the corner so I don't have to look at that corner ever again. Yeah, right. It well, I mean there was this fucking I mean, I wrote about this in the uh in the liner notes for We Are the Champions of the World, but there was this big huge black fungus that was growing in the sink in this apartment oh steve yeah people come over and be like jesus christ what'd you name that thing in the (laughs) sink or you know that thing in the sink would be like oh yeah it's been there a while oh what's its name and that was everybody's joke and i find that to be like a pretty esoteric joke for 
a swath of people to have made. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. But that was the joke. And and like it after about the fifth time someone asked, you know, either Chris or I, I can't remember which one of us officially named Steve. Uh, <laughs> we were like, oh no, it's Steve. And then one day I got home and Chris was like, I, I, I killed Steve. I couldn't take it anymore. Yeah. And I remember being really, on one level, I felt really guilty that it had gotten to a point where Chris had to do this and like, you know, like where I didn't, where I was either too lazy or aloof to understand that this was really a disgusting situation. And I don't know if he was like hoping I would do it or if he just one day was like, I fucked this. But I remember us both also being a little bit sad about it. About Steve being gone? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it was literally mold, fungus, <laughs> in a very large quantity in our sink where we brushed our teeth. And there was like a level of somberness about it. But that's like the ashtrays of volcanoes now. I mean, that was like we were all like smoking and, you know, having friends over and everybody was smoking and, and just like, you know, overflowing. and it, it, Yeah. It was a gro- it was a gross apartment, um, really fun but gross, and um, this is also the first time that I sing like clean uh, in the Lawrence Arms. I tried it once in a slapstick song, but I was always kind of afraid to try it. So that's always been a big. I always think of this song as a big like milestone for me in terms of. Um, developing further as a more dynamic artist. And I mean, my dynamism is pretty limited, but, uh, but like, you know, to add that to my repertoire, which would go on to become a defining characteristic of so much of my stuff to the Mm -hmm. point where I think a lot of people think of that before they even think of me like screaming at this point. But Mm -hmm. I mean, not everyone, obviously I'm not trying to, I, I, yeah, and I, I know what you're, what you're different, saying. It, different takes on the same rasp or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what made you want to do it here? It seems like it's very much based on just the mood. Yeah, and I don't know. I just wrote it. I feel like I thought that like the sort of like the overflowing ashtray imagery sort of reminded me of maybe like it was sort of inspired by like uh John Sampson, you know, and John the, K. Sampson. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and like just like sort of like that like super like Wes Anderson like minutia that he sings about, you know, like mm-hmm. and and I just felt like leaning into that a little bit. And I thought that like, I'd always wanted to try to sing something clean because I was afraid to, but I was like, if I can like, if I can get the confidence to sing like this, it'll make me so much, like I'll be able to do so much more, mm-hmm. you know? So I just kind of like took this part and I was like, this has got a little bit of that kind of vibe to it. Why don't I just try it here? If it sounds like shit, I can either re-record it or, just forget it ever happened, and then you know, mm-hmm. dip my dip my toes in the pool a little bit. 
and uh, and then we put it out, and everyone's like, "Man, when Chris sings that part in the middle," and I was like, <laughs> "Yeah, of course, P- people are gonna think it's Chris because I've never sung like this before." Yeah, you know, and it's like, yeah, it's it, it's funny, you know, you you listen back, and it's obviously you, and then it's also funny to think about if nobody's got any sort of reference and yeah, they're going to assume that it is Chris. Cause it doesn't sound that far off, but yeah. Yeah. So, but I really like the way he harmonizes with you during that part too. Like when you hear him come in on, uh, what is yeah, it about? Random the, Brown. Random Brown. Yeah. It's really nice. Yeah. It, yeah. It's gotta be confusing to people that, think that's Chris they're like well but that's also Chris but I mean I guess that's that's like a studio trick that you that you fucking do too I mean like you harmonize with yourself that happens so Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah the ashtray line it's good though because it's like you you don't see an ashtray like that in a uh normal place in a good looking apartment Mm -mm. no that's (laughs) that's your grandma's house um and like your your grandson's house those yeah. are the only places you see that <laughs> <laughs> Joyce Carol Oates is a boring old bitty shout out to my guy Nathan who helped me out with the CD liner notes for this I bought this on CD when it came out and remember there were footnotes but I took very bad care of my CDs so who knows where that ended up but Nathan helped me out, and he's also wondering why uh, Chris mentions that you've never played this song live before. Um, this is a totally weird one. Uh, it was for, like, this oil comp. It was called Oil. It was the name of the comp, and it was by Thick Records, which is a local mm-hmm. Chicago record label. I think maybe still exists, at least in an archive form. Um, yeah, it does. Um, and... Um, Billy from the Blue Meanies was like doing like the artist work at Thick, and um, he asked us if we wanted to be on this comp, and it would just have to be an original song, and we'd have to go to this like oil barreling plant or oil refinery, something to do with oil. I don't know. I'm hmm. I'm no fucking uh, <laughs> big city oil executive, so I can't really tell you like the ins and outs of what's going on in a fucking big ass warehousing warehouse looking place in Chicago. Just grabbing my air suspenders lights. Yeah. But um everybody would record it there. Um, you know, and we didn't have any songs. Chris wrote this song. We went in it it's a highly unusual song, chord progression wise and vibe wise for us. I didn't have a lot of time to figure it out. And it, it was really sort of like, at least for me, it felt kind of outside of my wheelhouse. So I think my contribution to this song is probably a little bit lackluster. Um, and that's just my fault, but also has to do with just like sort of everything being a little mm-hmm. bit, you know, like run and gun. And then Chris writing this like much more, uh, uncharacteristic song uh for us and and we played it really fast got it recorded those guys were happy with it and then we went back to like and it had to be an exclusive song for the comp we went back to writing 
other songs for whatever our next release was, going back on tour, playing it. By the time mm-hmm. the comp came out, I don't think any of us knew could even tell you what any of the chords were. Like, we hadn't thought about the huh. song. Yeah. You know, it just, like, happened fast. It was mm-hmm. done. Then it became kind of immortalized. And uh, uh, on this comp, I mean, not, like, immortalized, like, Jesus or anything. It's just, like, it, it got, like, stuck in the amber yeah. or whatever. Um, and then and then, uh, and then, then it existed, and we were like, oh, yeah, that song. And it's like, why would we play it? You know, like, nobody knows it. <laughs> We don't even know it. Uh. <laughs> and it's like, oh, uh, yeah, you know what? Uh, tonight, instead of Great Lakes, Great Escapes, we're going to play <laughs> Joyce Carol Oates. That'll <laughs> go over good. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, that comp does have a legacy. It's my friend Tut Beamer's, like, favorite comp ever. Um, and then Trio did Old School Reasons for it. There's a lot of great Chicago bands on it, but... I feel like, you know, even with that being said, it'd be a it'd be a tough one to just be like, all right, all right, well, we got to bring it in now. Yeah, it's it, it's a it's kind of a weird meandering slower song too, and I mean, like we as a band have like, I mean, this was around the last time where we were like unsure of like the direction we were going to go in as a band, you know, mm-hmm. and before we knew how to play into what we were good at or what those things even in fact were, you know? Um, so, uh, so this, like the, the Lawrence arms turned and this was on the other road. Kind of. I totally agree. Totally agree. I feel like this is, uh, this would make sense as a sundowner song. Um, here there are yeah there's just moments where it's like just a little bit unsure of itself yeah Uh, i think i think that's the best way to put it it's like i don't have anything against this song i do think it's funny that uh originally chris called this where where are you going where have you been and Mm -hmm. uh not realizing that wherever he'd taken the reference from which was someplace else from joyce carol oates no Oh. He took the reference from something else, gotcha. not realizing yeah. it was a Joyce Carol Oates reference. Mm-hmm. And Joyce Carol Oates is, um, I don't know if you know this, kind of like racist and weird. Like, <laughs> and, I didn't know that. Yeah, she is, she's got a Twitter account and she says like fucked up racist, uh, bizarre things uh-huh. on Twitter. Um, and she's okay yeah this is all starting to ring a bell i think it's just like she's kind of on the uh wrong side of history a little bit and chris doesn't like it's not like he has like a particular affinity for uh the works of joyce carol oates at all and 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 the title he was referencing kind of something else and so then he he put in this title which is also a simpsons reference which is when uh, Ned Flanders has a white wine spritzer, and then, and then uh, they're in bed, and Maude says, "Did you clip Ann Landers' column today?" And he says, "Ann Landers is a boring old biddy." <laughs> uh, so, I think, despite the um, very weird way in which Joyce Carol Oates got roped into this, or we got roped into the. Uh, 
bizarre gravitational pull of Joyce Carol Oates or whatever, Chris really knocked it out of the park by changing this into a Ned Flanders reference. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we've got Old Timers 2x4, Turnstiles, Hidden Tracks from Ghost Stories. We don't want to really uh, just retread things that we talked about when we talked about Ghost Stories. Brendan, do you have any fun stories about recording these again with Matt? Dude, fuck Sammy Sosa Allison in early 2005? <laughs> no, uh, I don't really remember much other than I really thought that it would be cool to re-record Turnstiles in, or- in order to do it justice. Why we chose Old Timers 2x4, I believe I mentioned before. I, I don't really know. I-, I-, I guess I probably just didn't have very many good songs <laughs> we had we, we had to pick one stupid song to someday have a podcast about and go why'd you re-record this i don't know and this just happened to f- come up on the wheel you know <laughs> perfect that's everything we needed i'd say so cocktails and dreams i mean especially talking about the beginning of making this collection that you're 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 very conscious about giving people their money's worth on it. I think you did a pretty damn good job here. What do you say? Um, I think the best um, compliment that a compilation album can get or is when people don't realize it's a compilation album. And that happens mm. to this record quite a bit. And again, I think that has a lot to do with the very iconic cover by David Holtz. Um, and that contributes a lot to it seeming like a cohesive whole. And... Um, yeah, so I guess we pulled it off. I mean, the other part about doing a compilation record is uh, your dinner's made, man. You know, like <laughs> you, mm-hmm. you you don't get to like come in and be like, and now we're gonna do a great compilation album that's perfect. You know, because it's like you've been, you know, you've been setting the table along the way the whole time with like whatever you release on seven inches and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So there's only so much uh, turd polish you can use on one of these. Uh, so to speak. And, um, yeah, I think we lucked out. I think that this captured a pretty cool era of our band in a way that seems cohesive. And I'm, I mean, I'm proud of it at least, you know, uh, I'm happy to be part of it. So definitely. I think it reinserted itself into the discography super well. Those songs that, that were older then, like, come out and they they look fresh and they they make a lot of sense coming in between uh uh greatest story and oh calcutta it was lovely sitting and chatting with you about it um i'd i'd kind of like to do this again next week too if uh if you're into it what do you think we should talk about well we've uh you know what? Next week is getting up on when there's going to be some very exciting announcements coming up. Um, not actually next oh. week, but uh, let's uh, let's do um, let's do Metropole next week. All right, I have been so looking forward to hearing you say that. We thank all of you for joining us this week. Invite you back for another episode next week. Rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play. 
If you want to hear more from Brendan and me, we are now on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Better Sandwich. We've got an episode of Liner Notes for Cocktails and Dreams, along with interviews I did with Brendan and Chris back in the day. And we got more on the way. That's over at Patreon.com slash Better Sandwich. We'll be back here next week to talk about Metropole. We're looking forward to it, and we'll see you then. Thanks, Bubba. Bye, guys. Bye, guys.